We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome in to the MPW Digital post-game show. Ole Miss just uh, annihilating Georgia Tech 42 to nothing. Today from Atlanta, I'm your tour guide. We'll talk all about that. We will talk about the rest of the stuff going on in the SEC today, this evening. Got Mississippi State and LSU up right now. Um, Auburn and Penn State, I guess, finishing up what is a uh, Penn State route on the Plains. Auburn down 41-12 to last I saw there. So uh, Ole Miss wins 42 to nothing. A little different deal tonight. What we're going to do, um, right not a little different deal, but a different situation as far as the order of callers. We're going to go to Neil pretty quickly. Uh, he'll be ready in a few minutes. We'll call Neil. We'll talk to him about the, uh, the Ole Miss win today, and then we will call Brian, and then we'll take your calls. Jeffrey has the night off. He is at a wedding in, uh, in Sonoma. You, you guys are aware of that, that we're um, – on our Thursday stream, as Jeffrey joins us every Thursday morning. So, a lot of you guys already knew that, but Ole Miss just, uh, again, a, a route from the beginning. They scored in the first minute and a half of the game. They were up 14 nothing to, to through two possessions. And Georgia Tech had the opportunity to score to cut it to 14-7 to to at least kind of make it interesting for a minute. Ole Miss stops them on fourth down, and from that point on, the, the, the game was over. When Ole Miss went over 500 total yards late in the third quarter, Georgia Tech was still at 150. Um, Ole Miss gets the shutout. Just really acted defensively. I mean, I know we're going to talk a ton about quarterbacks and offense, and that's that's that that's the sexy thing that everybody's kind of curious about. But Ole Miss's defense has been incredibly elite to this point. They they look they look very well coached under Chris Parchers. They're flying around to the football. They are making tackles. What you're noticing through three weeks. And I mean, we've seen we've seen the game. We've seen some good defenses. We've seen some bad defenses at Ole Miss over the years. They are really tackling well. Um, they are always surrounding the football. They're swarming. They're really good in the middle of the field. The guys on the second and third level are coming up and really making a lot of plays. I mean, it is. It's been impressive from a defensive standpoint. And you know, look, Georgia Tech was was outmatched. Jeff Sims had an incredibly rough day today. We'll look at stats here in a little bit, but. Ole Miss shut them down 
more than Clemson did two weeks ago. And, and you can't really do the transitive property thing, but when you look at Ole Miss overall, they hammered Georgia Tech to a larger scale than Clemson did. Um, you know, Troy showed up really well with App State today. I think App State ended up winning by three or four points there at the end, but Troy played well. Again, transitive property doesn't necessarily mean anything, but Ole Miss can only play the schedule that's in front of it. And they've completely handled it at this point, including just a just a demolition today. I mean, it really was. It was it was it was complete and utter dominance in all ways. Um, and defense carries it. Run game very very good. Six different touchdowns from a running standpoint. Two each from Quinshawn Judkins, Zach Evans, and Ulysses Bentley. Evans showing elite vision. His cutback ability is better, as good as anybody in the country. Juggins has been a battering round when he gets downhill. He's a really good overall back. And then there in the second half when uh, Georgia Tech's belly was very much exposed, Ulysses Bentley was a, was, a, was a change of pace, a guy that found creases and scored a tough, tough couple touchdowns himself. Ole Miss had 200 rushing yards at the half, give or take, and then ended up, I think, over 300 for the game, if I have that stat correctly. It's not in, in front of me right now. You know, quarterbacks, it, it, look, this is Jackson Dart's team. Uh, Luke played one snap of significance prior to it getting to be blown out, and that's when Dart's helmet was off. And during the first half, Dart made some mistakes. He threw a p- interception right before halftime that was ugly. Lane was all over him after that. It was, it was, it was a pretty vocal, uh, animated conversation here in the locker room there with him being frustrated with him. Um... But I thought he got into a little bit of a rhythm in the second half. We'll talk to Neil about it in a second. But I thought Dart got better. Um, I thought that, you know, he, he shows a lot of leadership. And you can make of that what you will. But at some point, and it's not that Luke's done anything wrong. But when you look at how this thing has played out, um, I, I, Ryan says quite a completely undersell the end of that Troy Upstate game. I, I didn't see it. I, I was The Ole Miss game ended. And then I've got 10 different things going on to get ready for the start of the show. So I actually did not know the end of that um, game until I just looked it up in a second a second ago on on, uh, on on ESPN. So I actually had no idea how that game ended. You'd have to tell me. I've I've, I've seen nothing over the last fifteen minutes or so. I am watching Mississippi State lead six to nothing late in the second quarter in uh, in Baton Rouge. But that's all I've got in front of me. But I thought Dark got into a little bit different rhythm. Um, thought he made some plays. Look, it just is what it is, you know. Uh, he, he's going to be that kind of quarterback, but he's done a pretty nice job for the most part today. I thought he was okay. And as I was saying, I thought he sort of took it over where it's his team today. I thought that not just trucking the defender, but, or even and it necessarily, you know, the anecdotal stuff of him celebrating with everybody late in the game, but just overall, I thought that there was a different kind of, you know, different leadership tangible from him today that that, 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 that shows that, look, it was already probably his team. I don't know why we did so much cloak and dagger over the course of the week. He took every rep, according to multiple sources, over the course of the week. But, yeah, it's uh, it's his team, and they'll move forward, and he's going to make some mistakes. But, you know, you look at that back throw to that back foot throw to Mingo and a couple different things, they they played pretty well today. I I thought Dart was okay. We'll talk about it with Neil. I'll go ahead and get him on the line in a second because otherwise I'm just going to sit here and ramble to myself. So we'll see what he has to say about it again. Yeah, we're watching LSU. I was not aware. Yeah, okay. App State threw a Hail Mary to win. Okay, see, I had no idea. I was not. I had no idea App State, App State threw a Hail Mary to win that game. Uh, I hate that for John Summerall. Um, that is that is that is what's on my mind when I see that. Is I really like John, and I absolutely hate that for him. Uh, let's see. Let me get Neil on the line.
I guess I did undersell it if that's how it if, that, if that's how it went down. That was really really dumb on my part. Daniel, my man, appreciate it with the uh, the super chat as always. Thank you very much. Hope you can entertain. Uh, am I pulling for state or LSU? I, I I don't have a crazy strong opinion on it. I'm not sitting here jittery about the game or whatever. But you know, I, I tell Neil this all the time. If you're watching a game you're going to have some semblance of a rooting interest because you just can't help it. If it gets down really, really close here at the end, even if you don't care, if there's somebody you want to win, and I, I think it's LSU, and I don't even necessarily know why, but I, I just find myself sort of pulling for LSU in this. Hello. Neil, how are you? Chase, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm lovely. I, apparently, I really undersold the end of the App State-Troy game. I did not realize that there was a Hail Mary involved. I just said App State won by three or four. Oh, my God. Have you not there. seen it? No. See, I, you know how this works. I'm doing observations and getting everything set up, and I couldn't find my <laughs> AirPods. I, I have, I've seen nothing over the last 15 minutes. I just casually threw in there, yeah, App State 32, Troy 28. No. It was as, as wild a uh, Hail Mary as you'll see in a long time. I mean, if you're John Summerall and Troy, it's just gut wrenching. If you're App State, it's just the it's the culmination to an incredible, unforgettable day. But I mean, it was an absolute freak play that the DB is taught, taught you know, knock it down, knock it down, and he didn't, and um, he kind of tipped it, and the rest is history. So, bounce around so much of this game today, and I. I know that everybody wants to do the sexy stuff and talk about the quarterbacks, but what do we know about this defense at this point? Because they are swarming to the football. They are playing really well at linebacker, even without Corey Coleman today, who left early with an injury. No update on that as of now. Again, Lane is probably talking as we're as we're talking at the moment. Um, otherwise, I didn't see any injuries. Troy Brown gets targeting, but he's not going to miss anything next week. It was just for this game. They were really good on the second level, third level again. And now, look, Georgia Tech sucks. Jeff Sims is not very good at quarterback, and he can do nothing down the field. But this is an assignment-sound defense. This is a tackling defense. It's a swarming defense, and a defense that is appeared to be very well coached and is usually in the right place. I know the competition has been what it is, but I'm beginning to believe that maybe this defense is just simply good. Yeah. You know, there's a lot there. And, uh, you know, you and I talked about it. I guess late third quarter, early fourth quarter, when I was talking to you, like, hey, here's the column I'm writing. What do you think? And you know, it, it's it's two things. One, it's you, you you don't exactly know yet what what this defense is, what this offense is, what this team is, because you don't exactly know if they've played anybody. And yet, on the other hand, you do have eyes. And you do know when someone or some unit passes the eye test and when it doesn't. And this defense passes the eye test with flying colors. Now, look, I don't know that they're dominant up front. You and I talked about this a little while ago. I think they're good. I don't know that they're dominant. Um, you know, they, they – I'm not hot take you here as we do this. LSU's not very good. That, that's just my hot take. Anyway, um – you know, they they're they're but they're really solid on the second level. They tackle well. Their assignment solid. Um, they're really really good on the back end. They have a lot of different people, just like we thought might be the case in preseason camp. They have a lot of people who can make plays. 
they're athletic, they're fast, they're disruptive, they're physical, they're deep. Um, there's a lot there defensively. Listen, I think there's a lot there offensively. Um, I mean, it, 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 you're right. It's the sexy thing to talk about quarterbacks and talk about Jackson Dart's game, and this, that, and the other. And did Jackson make some mistakes? Yes, he did. Sure. Um, you know, was was he – do I think he runs a little much? I do. Do I think he gets a little too physical at times for, for you know, what you're trying to get out of your quarterback? Personally, I think so, especially when you have that trio of backs in the backfield. I don't know that I want, if I'm Lane, I don't know that I want Jackson Dart running the ball and lowering his right shoulder to take on a defender. As much as I love the competitiveness and the athleticism, I, I, I suspect that he thinks, I don't know that that's really what I want in the in the fourth quarter, third quarter of a blowout game at Georgia Tech. But they run the ball well. They're, they're, they're gaping holes on, on the defense. Um that they create with an offensive line. I think they protect fairly well. Um, you know, they've, they've got some receivers who do make plays. Uh, you know, have they played anybody yet? I don't know. Have they played a, a, are they going to play better teams? Absolutely. But look, you know, I wrote this in my column and I'm jumping around a little. I hope you don't care. Oh, it's interesting to me that it's interesting to me that we all, you, me, everyone, we look because it's our job, I guess, to nitpick. Oh, hell this is a program that has now – yeah, I mean, I, listen, I think it's possible the state's pretty good and the LSU's pretty bad. I, I'm just going to tell you that. I, I, don't, I don't think that's – I don't think even one of those takes are particularly scorching. I don't think I need what Jeffrey always say, put your oven mitts on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I need oven – I don't know that I need oven mitts for those. I, I, I think it's possible that I just need some calluses on my fingers to take those plates out. I, I, don't, I don't think that's unfair. But – you know, what was I saying? I, I mean, I, I, I think it's possible this team's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they hadn't played anybody necessarily. I mean, you know, Troy, you and I talked about this. The transitive property is a dangerous thing to do in college football, and uh, we're going to do it a little bit with App State and Troy and, 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 and all that. Central Arkansas, Central Arkansas, and I think Georgia Tech's headed to another three and nine season. But you ask your you ask your team to handle what's in front of it on the schedule, and this team has. And I know what I was going to say. They're dating back to the Outback Bowl. This team has now won fourteen of its last seventeen games. This program has. Is that what it is? I mean, if correct my math if I'm wrong. So the Outback Bowl's one and oh, they went ten and three, so that's eleven and three, and now they've won three. Yeah, fourteen of seven. Yeah, because the, the the stat is actually though they only they actually won two or three before the loss at LSU too. Yeah, I, I wasn't good yeah. enough at math. That's fine. But yeah, but, but it's literally like fifteen of nineteen or something. Sixteen of yeah, 19 whatever. Or yeah. The point is is that since really since Kiffin the I guess it was the Auburn game. Mm-hmm. They lost to Arkansas and Auburn back to back in 2020, if I recall correctly. And since then, they've they've lost to they lost at LSU in that weird game, and they've lost to Alabama, Auburn, and Baylor. And they've won everything else. And so, at some point, I think you have to start giving a program the benefit of the doubt when it's earned it. And I think they have. You know me; I'm not a big traditionalist. I've been this way for a long time. We've talked about this, like. You know, just because Nebraska wants one doesn't mean they're going to win again. 
just because Ole Miss didn't win in the five years ago doesn't mean it won't win now, et cetera. I mean, I'm a big believer in that. I always have been. Um, they, they're, they're playing at a really high level. And the fact that we are looking, and it's our job to do it, and, I, and there are some things to pick apart. And, and frankly, I think if you watch Lane Kiffin's body language, Jake, he's picking them apart. So I don't think we're being un- completely unfair because Lane didn't appear to be just completely uh, – you know, pleased with everything that he saw. But the fact that we're picking apart in, in any shape, form, or fashion, a 42 to nothing win on the road against a Power 5 opponent, I think speaks volumes about where the program is today. No, there's no doubt. I mean, they went in and just systematically dominated this game against an ACC team. Hey, look, it's Georgia Tech. Jeff Collins is most likely fired at the end of the season, although I don't know who the hell you're hiring or what you're doing because your program just sucks. I don't either. But I don't either. I don't know what you're doing. At the same time, they're not completely incompetent in every way. I mean, it, yeah, there, there's a time when you just – it's an Ole Miss program. You're just trying to get out of there with a win and you move on. And instead, you know, we, we talk about our guy from Dubuque, and he turned that game on. It's kind of – it's dovetailing into what you're saying. He turned that game on. He saw 21 to nothing, and he went, ah, hell, yeah, of course. Ole Miss is good, and Georgia Tech's bad, and that's what's happening. And Lane Kiffin's running plays, and here's what they're doing – Outside of us, who is looking for every ward because otherwise we have nothing to talk about, the country is just looking at Ole Miss as a team that is firmly into that second tier, as we were talking about on Thursday, is beating the teams they're supposed to beat. You look up and they go, hey, I'm really excited when Ole Miss plays Kentucky and Ole Miss plays A&M and Ole Miss plays maybe even Alabama and all this kind of stuff. They're just a good SEC team now. We're we're doing all this, oh, God, what if this, 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 and this, because otherwise this show would suck. But at the same time, everybody else just looked at it and go, no, damn it, they're just good. Period. It, it, the Ole Miss, oh. Ole Miss has gotten. Now look, they got. They have to control the second half of the schedule. They've got Kentucky in two weeks. They've got exams coming. But at the at this moment, sure. they're just simply a t- team that's supposed to go win a lot of football games, and that's it. Absolutely. Look, I mean, there's 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 a top tier in the SEC, and you know who it is. It's two teams, and then Ole Miss is in that next group. And right now, today, that next group is Ole Miss and Kentucky and. Arkansas and uh, maybe Tennessee, maybe Texas A&M. That's the group. Maybe. But the three that are definite today, and I know it sounds weird if you're a traditionalist. I get it. But the three that are in the next group today that you can say, I think I, I feel pretty good about these three teams being in the next group are in order, I think, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Arkansas. And they've now done it multiple years in a row. They've been they they, they all were were good teams last year. And when you look up, and as the game we're watching right now with State and LSU, if you're LSU or this disaster that's going on on the plains with Penn State and Auburn, that is terrible Can we talk about news. That for a minute, by the way? Yes, I'm going. That is terrible, terrible, terrible news for Auburn. Yeah, I don't think he can survive those kinds of losses. I'm just too familiar with the program. I don't think he can survive those types of losses. I think that's what does him in. I think it's one thing to lose, you know, let's say my prediction and Neil's picks had come true. I think I had 20 to 16. I think it's one thing to survive 20 to 16. I think it's another thing to survive what he just went through. They're going to go after him now. And they've got, They've got the goods on him. Um, and even if he beats LSU in two weeks or whatever, I, I just think I think the writing's on the wall. They 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 want to play big games in Auburn, and and they're not 
going to play big games. And I mean, I think if you look at Auburn today, I don't know how Auburn stays within two, three scores of Ole Miss. I don't know how Auburn beats up Mississippi State. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think they do. LSU just scored, by the way. Yeah, seeing that. Uh, forty-one to forty-one to twelve is not is not acceptable there. So, I mean, those those rumors will will pick up now. I mean, you'll you'll start hearing spe- uh, specificity in regards to rumors. I suspect fairly soon. And I don't think Harson survives. It's over. It's, it, it, they're not they're not good. But look, their problems go beyond Brian Harson. I mean, you know, the league's different, and and. Um, you know, they're, just because Auburn was on top of the league or a, or a really competitive team in the league for a long time doesn't mean that they'll always be that. It just doesn't. Not anymore. The game, the, the, the games changed. The landscapes changed. And I think I think just because you were fourth or fifth in the league for several years in a row, you're not guaranteed that spot. That's the thing too. You look at this, and again, we're bouncing. I'm going to come back to a couple things from the actual game today. But you look at this thing coming up, and look, two weeks from now, it's said here in the stream, Kentucky, Ole Miss, just a monster game in two weeks. Ole Miss is going to beat Tulsa. Sure. Whatever Kentucky's doing next week. Are they off? Who do they play? No, they're not Illinois. They play Northern Illinois next week. They're going to win that game. Um, if Ole Miss finds a way out of that, it's a if, but, I mean, they can win the game for sure. Vanderbilt, and then – an Auburn team that probably is not just turned on Harson, but frankly, they might be so damn in the gutter that it looks a lot like what the hell Penn State's doing to them right now. Oh, I don't because they don't can't think throw the football. Questions. Here's the thing: we talked about this Ole Miss defense. Unless you're just, I mean, incredibly physical, and you're just going to line up and do this Georgia kind of running down the throat, and look, maybe you can do that on Ole Miss. I don't know. We haven't seen either way yet. But otherwise, you've got to throw the ball down the field. You have no choice. Because Ole Miss is simply too fast in the second and third level. You cannot run on them and throw short and just hope you're going to break tackles all day and go down the field. It's it's not going to work. No, I agree completely. We've been talking about this, I think, since the summer. I, I, I targeted the Kentucky game. I think I got this one right. I said I thought Kentucky would, would beat Florida and that this was going to be a battle of unbeatens and it was going to be a really big game. And I think it's actually going to be bigger than I thought it was going to be for both teams because I think the winner has a legitimate shot. To get to eight, nine, and zero. Oh. I mean, I do. I, I I think that's real, and I'm not going to judge anything on Kentucky today. By the way, I mean, I know they were a little flat against Youngstown State. That that's predictable. They they just came off a emotional win at, at Florida, and for them to come back and just sort of be sure a little bit bored and methodical against Youngstown State. Sure, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I saw someone. I don't know who was us on Twitter. Somebody with some hot take early in the day. Kentucky's offensive line struggling with Youngstown State. It's like, oh, for God's sake, it's the first drive of the first quarter. Shut up. Um, it's the same way that, like, you know, I, I suspect Arkansas is going to be sleepy against um, Missouri State today. It just stands to reason. In the same way that I think Ole Miss might be a little flat Saturday against Tulsa because they know what's coming. But to Ole Miss's credit, so far this season, even in the games where you think they could be a little flat or methodical. They're not. They're, they've they've shown up. They're they're kind of business like. I mean, they they they're they kind of have a personality, and their personality's pretty methodical. Chase. I mean, they're they're good. 
I mean, that's, it's a, I think it's a legitimately good team. I mean, does, does that mean they're going to win 11 games? No, not necessarily. But, you know, like I told you earlier, for the first time, today was the first time that I watched and I went, you know, maybe. You thought the ceiling went up. No, may, maybe doesn't. Maybe does yeah. Ceiling ceiling's higher. Now, now maybe does not mean definitely. And and look, they could still lose to Kentucky. They could lose to to A and M. They could lose to to Alabama and Arkansas. And hell, state's good. State, you know, who knows? So you could lose multiple games. But now, if you told me this team found a way to win ten games today, today might be the first time that I go, yeah, okay, I, I get it. I do think Dart is better than he's getting credit for being. I think yeah. I think we're so hyper focused on every mistake. I mean, look, did he had overthrows? Yes, he did. He missed several big throws down the field. He made two or three throws though that most quarterbacks frank, frankly can't make. I thought he played like a 19-year-old with a really high upside who is still refining his skills. That's what I thought. I thought he played like a young guy who is going to be a really good quarterback one day. I mean, if you told and me I shows, had to go buy or sell on him as an NFL quarterback making rosters and hanging around a while, I would go buy. Yeah, I'd buy today. I, would, I wouldn't invest just a ton of my money oh, in sure. it, but yeah, 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 I'd buy. Sure. Sure, I'd buy that. I, I, don't, I don't think that's outlandish. I, I mean – did he, again, he made some mistakes. I mean, there was a play where he was going down on a – he was about to be sacked, and he flung the ball away, and he got – you know, they, they made the right call. They went back and called it uh, intentional grounding, which appeared to be the right call. But those are the kind of plays where you got to eat the ball right there. You know, you got to – you don't sling it because you might sling it up into the air, and it turns into a pick six, and it's sort of stupid. The interception at the end of the half was not a, a good read. It was not a good decision on his part. But I thought his second half, I mean, the third quarter when he really played, I thought he played really, really well. And, and that shows that he's pretty coachable. You know, that Lane Lane chewed on him pretty good. And, and he responded by, um, just being better. you know, making plays. Yeah, being better. He didn't sulk. He didn't whatever. He just kind of made his plays. I mean, if anything, if I have a criticism of him today, it is, it is simply a Hey man, I know you love to compete, and I know that that's the way you are. But you've got to dial that back a little bit at times. I mean, you there's a time and a place for that, but it's not all the time. You can't put your shoulder down and, and try to run over everybody. That is eventually going to backfire on you. I mean, that literally is my criticism of him. I feel like we've seen this before. It feels like another quarterback we covered recently that, that you had to calm down a little bit and quit trying to run over defensive backs. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Matt Corral. There's a little Corral in super, there. Super competitive, yeah. I mean, and that's a good thing. I mean, I just think sometimes you got to say, hey, listen, you can't, you can't do that all the time. You got to have a minute. You got to gotta know, know when to play that card, and that card can't be played all the time. And I thought – well, today he played at a time or two when it probably would not be would not be advisable. But again, I mean, now we're really nitpicking again. I mean, that's what I'm. I, I kind of you know go back and remind us that 2019 this was a program that was super mediocre. Here we are critiquing a 42 to nothing win on the road against a Power Five opponent. I mean, it, <laughs> that probably says something. And, and you're right. I mean. If, if all we did was, hey, they were awesome, see you guys Saturday, it's going to be a really long week of podcasts. But 
um, there's you're having to dig a little to find things to criticize. Lane was coaching to the whistle, much like Nick Saban. It was yelling at the reserves to play. It was fussing at mistakes, pushing guys to be competitive and try to get more snaps, and frankly, looking for some damn negatives because otherwise, it's forty-two to nothing. And when you get in on film tomorrow, I mean, okay, great. I mean, tech sucks. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. You know what I think it was? I think it's. We. I've used this word a lot. Um, I think it's. It, it's an attempt to establish culture. Yeah, I think you're establishing culture. I think you're you're, um, you know, he he spent those years with Saban, and that's people like to criticize Saban. Thirteen seven at the half, by the way, at Baton Rouge, yeah. Mississippi State leads. Um, I, I think uh, I think he's trying to say, hey, this is this is not going to be a program where we're going to sit around on the sideline in the middle of September and celebrate a, a blowout win over what's probably a bad team. We're going to work. We're going to get better. We're going to improve. We're we're going to uh, establish an identity, and this is going to become the norm here. I think that's I think that's what's happening. Um, I, I didn't I didn't take it as anything more than that. I think you're right, coach to the whistle. If you're on the field, you're held to a standard, and uh, you're expected to live up to that standard. I think that's more than anything, kind of what what he's doing, and frankly. Chase, that's the sign of of a program that, that is trying to go from good to really good, from really good to position to be elite. And, I mean, you're in the same – look, earlier today, and I didn't see all of it, but I saw enough of it to go, whoa. I mean, when you're in the same league with Georgia, that's the standard right now, Georgia. And holy hell. And so if you are going – if you, yeah, holy hell! If you're going to compete with them, well, you, it's a pretty high standard, and there's no there's no place to uh, let up. Because again, I know transitive property and all that, but Oregon beat the hell out of BYU today. They did, and 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 I think you're right. There might be some transitive property here, but I think Oregon would tell you, hey, you you guys go to Georgia and play mm-hmm. Georgia when you get through with it. When you get through with it, tell me what you think of your team. Yeah. I mean, you know, South Carolina last week was competitive against Arkansas for the better part of three quarters, and today they were competitive against Arkansas for the better part of three minutes of pregame. Um, hell, Arkansas might just be so much better than everybody that nobody can compete with them. That's, that's, I think that card's on the table. You obviously mean Georgia. Um Yeah, I, I meant Georgia. Yeah, they're, they're the, I think they're the best team in the country. They're certainly the best team in the SEC. They're dominant. And so that's kind of my point. I mean, for years we've been saying, hey, Alabama's the standard. And to my point, Georgia for years said, hey, Alabama's the standard. That's what we're chasing. And, and when they finally caught them last January, now they're, um, now they're trying to stay ahead of them. And right now I think they are. I think they're, they're the new standard. And if you're Ole Miss and you're trying to become elite, well, to get elite in this league, you, you've got to catch Georgia. I know we just keep seeing the same thing, and that's incredible play, but anything different or more significant out of the backs today, having that kind of day? I, I just think there's such unique weapons. Um, Evans can do – Evans got, has that burst. He's such a complete back, and Judkins, to me, just looks like a a superstar when he went uh, down the road. I mean – and then, you know, you, you got some good things today out of Bentley. And that's 
that's their identity right now. And I wrote this in the column. If your identity, at a minimum, is this team that can run the football and be really stingy on defense, well, that's okay. If that's your identity, that's all right. You, you, you can play with that. Is that enough to go be, you know, a national champ or something? No, you probably got to be a little bit more than that. You got to have a little more balance. You got to find some big play in the passing game and those things. But if your identity day to day is, hey, you're going to line up and, and, and be able to run the ball super effectively the way uh, Ole Miss has, mm-hmm. and you're going to line up on defense and be physical and fly to the football and make plays and all of those things, that's a pretty strong identity in this league. I've seen a lot of teams take that very identity and, and turn it into double-digit wins. 14 uh, minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Liberty leading Wake Forest 23-20 to in Winston-Salem. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I mean, Tulane goes to Kansas State and wins today. South Alabama loses by a point or two points, whatever it was, at UCLA. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of parity. We are I mean, seeing it, 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 no more than 20 teams completely separate from every damn body else. And maybe oh, it's you, nowhere you near that. you think it's 20? No. Yes, I, I mean, maybe it's 10. Shit. I'd go less than that. Yeah, I'd go less than 20. I'd, I'd, I'd be closer to 10. I, I just think – I think it's um, – I don't know what that is either. I'm mean, have to think about it. It would be, be a good podcast early in the week. What explains this? What explains – you know, um, I don't know what the score is right now, but like I saw, Kansas was was super competitive with uh, with uh, um, um, Houston. I think they were ahead by a score or two earlier earlier in the in the uh, in the day. Um, Coaching is so important. We we're we're, we're under we're we're. I'm not saying you and I, but in general, we're getting so caught up in NIL and look, talent wins. You got to have the Jimmys and the Joes consistently but head coach and culture and a lot of those things that can go get you one time that, that, that we're undervaluing as a, as a college football collective what just straight coaching and culture can do in the one-off where you've got App State A&M you've got Tulane Kansas State I mean look Kansas State's a better team than Tulane um but, but there Prince are very few really programs that are completely foolproof from that happening, I guess is my point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fritz is really good. I mean, he's, he's, he's built some culture at Tulane where they're resilient coming off of a bad season. They've been better this year. Um, you know, I think we talked about it. Lance Leipold at Kansas, I had, I had the football person tell me, get your jokes in about Kansas now because he's, he's turning them around and he's going to make them competitive in games and, We've, I think we've watched, we've watched Kiffin, for example. I mean, look at the job Lane Kiffin has done, the stamp, the identity that that he has, that he has put on, um, you know, look at the identity that he has put on Ole Miss in two and I guess a half years now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I think those are, I think, I don't, I don't think that's coincidental. They have an identity that is that is tied to a to a coach and a brand and all of those things, and you see it around the country. I mean, I I think you look at the job that Kane Womack's done at South Alabama. I mean, they were not very good when he got there, and they're really damn competitive now. I mean, they almost beat UCLA today, and 
you know, the there's good coaches in the Sun Belt and, and that kind of thing. It's just, it's um, I don't I don't know. Let me let, let, let me ask you this way. Let me let me ask you this way. And, and a couple couple updates here. Again, it's six forty p.m. Uh, Rippy texts me and says Kansas is beating Houston forty-two to twenty-one right now. So they're up three scores now. Yes, forty-two twenty-one. Let me ask it this way then: Is it that whether it be NIL or coaching or recruiting success and however they do it? Because obviously Lane does it a different way than Nick and Jimbo. Is it that there are a few, only a few number of teams that can truly? put together rosters in the way that makes it different and, and it's it's just created a big mush in the middle and it's a different situation than it was pre-portal? Um, yeah, maybe so. I mean, maybe there's just, like we talked about, maybe there's just three teams right now that are truly nationally competitive. Then again, maybe there's more. I mean, look, I don't want to go too far with this, but I mean, I think I know what my eyes see. I'm, if I'm on this, I'm not willing to concede a single game right now on the schedule. Doesn't mean I won't. Doesn't mean I'm. Doesn't mean I'm going to win them all. No, don't sure. get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But you know, going into the year, I was like, well, you know, Alabama's a loss. Texas A&M's a loss. Um, probably lose one of the other road games and. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm willing to say that today. I mean, I, today I'd go, you know, Alabama's probably a loss. I'm, I'm not going to be the hot take guy that goes just because Alabama played a close game in Texas that the program's falling apart. There's there's really no side. There's really very little to support that. But, you know, I wouldn't concede the Texas A&M game today. I wouldn't concede the LSU game today. I wouldn't concede the Arkansas game today. I, I, you know, I wouldn't concede the Egg Bowl, for God's sake. I mean, does it mean they're going to win all those games? Not necessarily, but, I mean, like – Ole Miss today is a double-digit favorite against Auburn. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, we're going to find out. I mean, we're about to do a 13-day build to this Kentucky game, and Kentucky's legitimately good. I mean, they are. They're, they're beatable, and I think Ole Miss can and, and, and very well might beat them. But it's going to be a really big game, and regardless of whether game day is there, whether the game's at 11 a.m. or 6 p.m. or somewhere in between, it's going to be a really big game. But – the winner of that game is going to wake up five and zero, one in, in, in I guess in Kentucky's case two and zero in the SEC, and Ole Miss's case one and zero in the SEC, and I think very much in the national championship conversation at that point. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, and you know, I, I don't know what game day is doing or not, but I mean, both those teams today can, can combine to win seventy three to nothing. I mean, they did nothing but continue to enhance whatever resume. And I watched some games to Youngstown State. And I watched some game day today. I mean, there are not going to be flocks of kids flocking to Boone, North Carolina, to play for App State because Lee Corso put a hat on today. It's just not. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it has no impact on the program and it's not a good thing. Blah, blah, What's blah. So they, you know, it's university even more than program. Yeah. Again, it's I, not I, a I'm, bad I'm just, thing, just, but that doesn't mean it's some revolutionary right. thing. Right. I think, I, I, I think the, for Ole Miss that – if, whether game day comes or not does not make that game any bigger or, or, or no, worse. It's going to be it, a it's zoo not, all week. It's going to be a zoo all week, and that game's going to be really big. And the winner of that game, whether Lee Corso's in town or not, is going to wake up on Sunday morning in, in position to do something special. That's, that's the story. The story's not that game day's coming and is Katy Perry coming or who's going to be. Not, no, none of the game. 
The story is the winner of that game wakes up on that Sunday morning, October the 2nd, with a legitimate, a legitimate reason to think that they're going to do something special. That's the story. And because it sets, makes the next week big and then the next week big. And we get in, uh, potentially like Ole Miss wins and then beats Vanderbilt and beats Auburn. I mean, they go to LSU undefeated. And all of a sudden, it's, it's a really big game there. And if you win that game, then you go to Texas A&M undefeated. And you know the rest. I mean, to me, that's the story. is That's not completely unrealistic whatsoever. Liberty has dropped a pick. Um, Force fourth down would have dropped a pick. I'm still 50-50 on whether Hugh ends up in the ACC at some point in the next couple years. I don't believe SEC, but I still feel like the ACC is like this desert enough that somebody will take a chance on him. Yeah, and I I think he'd do a good job. I mean – Look, his name's flying around at Auburn. I mean, it's going. Auburn's going to. Things are going to fly around this week at Auburn. I mean, let's be real. That's it. This is. I think we all know how this story's going to end. And so, you know, um, his name will pop up there. But it, they're going to talk about some bigger names first. And at the end of the day, for for Hugh, it's simply going to be whether or not someone's willing to believe that all the stuff in his past won't pop up and become a distraction. But he's done a really good job at Liberty. He's made them a, a really competitive program, even without Malik Willis, and he should be commended for it. Wake makes a long field goal. It is 23-23 now with about 12 minutes to go in that game. You know, they, they – it's Wake's probably hit the point where it's hard to get super up for a a game against a team like Liberty. And Hugh benefits from that a little bit yeah. at Liberty is that he still catches power fives looking ahead. And especially power fives like or, that that aren't crazy talented where they just go win. Like Wake, yeah. Wake is not yeah. great all 22. They have a good quarterback and they've got a good team and a good system, but they're not putting athletes all over the field that's going to go run by you. And frankly, Hugh signed some four stars and some power five level players at Liberty. And he's landed some guys in the transfer portal, and he's done a good job, you know. And I look, he's a good coach. We've seen him. We know we know what kind of coach he is. It's just a matter of whether he can. I mean, look, if I could throw a little money in and, and help Auburn hire Hugh Freeze, that would be fantastic. That'd be great for our business. I mean, please go ahead. Oh, I mean, sign <laughs> sign me up. I mean, I told you if I could draw it up, you know where I'd put him. You put him in Starkville. I'd put him in Mississippi State, yeah, absolutely. From a business standpoint, all day long. If I'm Hugh, I'll run from Georgia Tech if they offered me a job. Yeah, no, I, I don't no, know. That, that job is, in the, I, in the NIL era, that job is impossible. I don't know. That, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that that job's doable. I mean, they, they did not have enough athletes on the field to even think about competing with Ole Miss today. And I don't say that to take anything away from Ole Miss because, again, I thought Ole Miss was really impressive. I listened to it on Monday. Jeff Collins told everybody that. He looked at the film and went, no, mm, can't do that. Well, I mean, you know, Kelly Quinlan gave gave, uh, Georgia Tech no real chance. I mean, I asked him a question. I said, paint me a scenario where he really didn't even bother. To his credit, I mean, you know, I think he knew enough, and he talked about how it was just kind of about surviving the first half of the season, getting into the second half of the season. They've got that having a chance stretch where they might can win a couple games. 
Maybe. You're not thinking that team's going to Blacksburg and routing the Hokies. No, I, I mean they might go to Blacksburg and win, but they suck. I mean, I, I think they're three and nine. <laughs> I mean, they looked like a three and nine team, but you know, but I've covered Ole Miss teams that played three and nine type teams, and it was close. Oh, and this team just this that to me that's what that's what I take away from this game is not. Hey, did Ole Miss go go destroy a power five? Did Ole Miss go destroy some team that's headed to the Orange Bowl? No, of course not. But they took care of business. And there was an assignment in front of them, and they handled it. And they've been doing that a lot lately. And I think at some point you've got to look at the regularity with which a team wins and go, maybe that's who they are. And I think that's where we are with Ole Miss. I think it's time to look at them and quit talking about what happened in the – at the end of the freeze era or at the, you know, the beginning of the, or during the Matt Luke time and all that stuff. And just look at them and go, you know what? They're pretty good. This is a pretty good program. This is a program that, um, bounced back pretty good in 2020, had a really strong 2021 and is off to a really strong start in 2022. And it's probably a really good football team. And I think that's kind of who they are now, a really strong football program. Congrats to everybody who took the under today. Went under easily, 42 points. Tech had no prayer of helping getting in the red zone one time. That was free the money. Game. I mean, it, not, not not even getting close to sniffing. That. No, that was free money. I'm kind of mad at myself for not taking it. I mean, I, that was free. I, I, I thought 13 points was an absolute max for Georgia Tech. And with the benefit of hindsight, I'm thinking – Three points was the absolute max for Georgia Tech. I mean, they could have kicked the field goal when it was fourth and goal, and I guess gotten three, but that's a that's about it. A game to keep an eye on. All of a sudden, it's early, yeah, seven nothing. Missouri State's up seven. Missouri State up seven nothing, and and uh, driving early in the second quarter. Arkansas had a couple of turnovers and uh, fumbled at the one. It's something to watch. I mean, Arkansas is in this weird spot where they played two big games and they've got two big games coming and hard to get kids to hard to get kids to believe that a FCS team can come in and beat you. And Bobby had his guys ready. The bears were ready. Oh, sure. They're ready to roll. Yeah. And they're going to play emotional football. I wrote in 10 thoughts, not 10 thoughts, but Neil's picks that I thought this game would be a lot closer than a lot of people did. And here we are. Missouri State is ranked pretty highly in FCS, or at least they were a couple weeks ago. They uh, they beat Central Arkansas twenty eight to fourteen in the season opener. Um, yeah, they're two and zero. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, something to keep an eye on. Sure, it's still early second quarter, but yeah. So are you wearing? It just shows you again. It it just shows you again. It's uh, it's it's an unpre- It's one of the things that makes the sport great. I think is it's an unpredictable sport. You got green or orange on for tonight? Oh, I, I, I'm wearing green. Um, I'm, I'm cheering for my boy Henry. I'm hoping against hope. But, you're not uh, very confident. You're, start, you're starting to wane on me. A I'm bit. not. It just feels too good to be true, doesn't it? Uh, just feels. It too feels good like to be A&M wins this game like twenty-four to ten, and we go, ah, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, right. He's you know, the quarterback. Kind of what Max Johnson tonight for the Aggies. 
had some had some suspensions, some NCAA related stuff. I mean, there are some things going on that make you wonder uh, if hell. you know if the looks like what? Wake has recovered a fumble and is about to go in and go up thirty to twenty three on you. I was kind of hoping for a oh, close a game late just for the kicks of it. Missouri State goes up ten nothing. Okay. So yeah, Adam has there. four players suspended. Adam says in the stream. Yeah, four uh, four freshmen, I think, suspended. The guys who've been playing for them. Little sign that maybe there's some, you know, just kind of cracks in the armor. Not big ones, just little fishers. Pardon the pun. Just something to something to keep an eye on. Because you know, going into the year, I mean, you talk about ceilings going into the year. I think there was this consensus thought that A and M was going to be an L for Ole Miss, that they was going to College Station and it was just going to be more than anybody could handle, Not anybody not named Alabama, and that A&M was this 10-11 win team. And and who knows? And they might go blow Miami out the water tonight. We're having a totally different conversation. But if if that's not the case, then suddenly you look at that game of College Station and go, you know what? It wouldn't be that big of an upset. I mean, today, as of, from what I've seen from the two teams, I wouldn't call Ole Miss beating Texas A&M an upset. I don't know. Grind, I see you in the chat. Um, sorry about today. Thanks for joining us for a little while. Well, he predicted it. I mean, he yeah. he was pretty steadfast in in, in uh, our stream and in my stream with Tyler on Thursday that he said Auburn would lose by at least two scores. And I mean, whether that was him hedging emotionally or not, he was right. What kind of what Night Jay's having in his his show? Oh. I think we can suspect what that night was. We've been there. We've yeah. done that. Done that show. You know what that <laughs> night's like. <laughs> We've done that show. <laughs> you know what that show's like. Um, you know, I mean, look, and it's, it, I mean, it is what it is for them. I mean, you, you lose by 29 points to Penn State at home, and people are going to, people are going to scream for, uh, scream for blood, and I suspect they're going to get it, Chase. I mean, I've been around them for a while. Arkansas is going to win that game, like twenty-seven to thirteen or something. But you got to think there's probably a few tied uh, rectums in, in Reynolds Razorback Stadium going. Please God in hell, don't let don't let this happen tonight, and please God don't let this happen to Bobby Petrino. Oh sure, like you know, right now is the moment when they all look over at their wives and go, "Oh God, oh oh oh." Oh yeah, no, it'd be a, it'd be a nightmare for them to lose that game. But you know, I mean, I, getting off to a really slow start against them is pretty predictable. You know, they'll probably, like you said, they'll probably be okay. It's an SEC team against an FCS team. If Pittman didn't have their attention before the game, he's probably got it now. Sure. But, you know, these things can these things can get weird on you. It's, 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 it's if you don't kind of respond and jump back, those kind of games come back to get super tight. And you get super tight, anything can happen late in the game. Yeah. Vanderbilt got a good win today at Northern Illinois. They did. Uh, the, the freshman I mean, quarterback was pretty all, good. All jokes aside, yeah, all jokes aside, I, I think you know, I, I thought, I thought for them to go up there and play well was a was a good sign for them. Yeah, they uh, Tennessee's off to a fast start today against Akron, which is to be expected. But you know, I think Tennessee's proving to be they're pretty legit. Mm-hmm. Tennessee and Florida next week shaping up to be a pretty fun game. Sure. Your column's up at RebelGrove.com. We're back on Monday with a, uh, a normal week leading up to, I guess, Tulsa, but we're going to start talking Kentucky pretty quickly, I feel like. So we'll uh, 
we'll do that. But safe trip back tomorrow, and we'll uh, we'll catch up. All right, my friend. Talk to you soon. Was Neil McCready there on the Rafters Music Food Hotline? I was having a hard time finding the uh, the hang up button, which is not going to be a good sign for later on tonight. I probably need to know what that is. Could not locate it, but we'll uh, we'll call Brian in a minute. Um, get his take. I'm gonna go over some stats and stuff too. I've got those up, so we'll uh, we'll do that on a different screen also here uh, here today. Let me get this back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mississippi State and OSU back started with the second half. State has the ball to start. Um, 13-7 Bulldogs here early uh, here early on. Yeah, it looks pretty comfortable for for State right now. They just they had a couple bad plays here on this opening possession. They they, they did not get into LSU territory, so we'll see what the Tigers do with their first possession out of the break. But not not ideal there. As I'm saying, you look around the league, and everybody seems susceptible to these type of games. Frankly, it, Ole Miss doesn't for a couple of reasons. I mean, a the quarterback plays good enough, and b their defense in their run, running game just doesn't allow it. I mean, you know, App State happened last week because of Jimbo. App State's good, but it happened because of Jimbo. His play calling was horrid. He didn't let his quarterback do what actually benefited the quarterback the most. I mean, it just – I'm telling you, I mean, he's not – it's not to the level that, like, Chip Kelly is, where Chip Kelly is just completely out of date and beyond at this point from college football. I, I think Chip Kelly is an incredibly overrated coach. Um, at this point of his tenure. This is not the Chip Kelly that was at Oregon. Um, but I think Jimbo, from a game day management standpoint, is it, it, trending in that direction. I just really do. I, I think that's kind of where we are with this thing. Call Brian now and let him uh, talk a little bit. I'm gonna talk, I want to talk to him about Jackson Dart. Because at this point we can't talk about it all enough. Uh, the targeting call, Memphis Rebel asking about the targeting call today. By the textbook definition and the rule, it was the correct call. But if you're the referee, you just don't throw the flag there. Because Troy Brown, there's nothing he could have done. He turned his body sideways and stopped moving. I mean, what, what else can you do as a defender? And I get that the receiver was defenseless, but his feet had come down. 
he was in the process of trying to make a football move. I, I, I honestly, I don't know what anything else Troy could have done at that point. It, it, it sort of baffled me that that's where that was because I, I just did not think that was, um, that was targeting with anything that you see with your eyes where you actually think that that's, um, that's what's going to happen. But you know, here's the deal. In some ways, it just made sure Troy didn't get hurt and move on to next week because him playing more plays did no good for anybody today. He doesn't need the reps. He's going to be okay. What's up? How you doing? Pretty good. How about you? Oh, I'm hanging in. I'm all right. Um, a few different things here today. Let's start with this. I mean, you sat down with Brandon Dart for a really long time. You wrote the big feature on Dart. You, at least from what his history is, what to kind of expect, what his family expects from him. What did you kind of make it today? Because it's very clear looking back at the week um you had these sources we had heard you i think you heard before we did but even later in the week we, we had heard as well meaning Neil and myself that dart took pretty much all the reps um altmeyer was not either not taking first team reps because of that or not taking many reps at all because of his injury at this point um it was very clear it was completely dart show today i don't think there was any doubt about that from from any level and then I'm not making too much out of him celebrating with teammates or running over the defensive back or anything else. But when you look at just his leadership ability, the way that he was interacting with teammates throughout the game, he was coaching and helping and learning. And I mean, every time they showed anything with him on the field or on the sidelines, he's in somebody's ear, somebody's in his ear. He takes the the the, the pounding from Lane at halftime when he was just all over him after the interception. He took it over where, frankly, we're wasting our time if we don't just admit this is Jackson Dark's football team. Yeah, I think you described that pretty well. And I thought today's performance was kind of pretty vintage 19-year-old Jackson Dart, I guess. I guess vintage is maybe the wrong word for it, but pretty much what you would expect, right? You saw some of the, you know, a couple of throws that he made that you wonder how many quarterbacks in the country that can make and then you saw some pretty rudimentary mistakes coupled by one pretty terrible decision that almost gave Lane Kiffin an aneurysm um there right before halftime with the interception when he was rolling out to the right side of the field and that's kind of what he is as a player right now and then I guess speaking to the other piece of it regarding you mentioned celebrating and kind of always you know in someone's ear or vice versa that just from talking to you know his dad and a couple other people that just seem to be kind of on brand with who he is. I mean, look, at first, I, I won't lie, when I was doing, like, kind of reporting some of that story, I was like, all right, look, I get it. Like, the kid's a good leader. You know, I thought it was kind of, I thought at first it was kind of maybe being shoved in my face a little bit to, like, hey, he's a good kid, he's a leader. But then the more and more I got into it and kind of the smaller anecdotes, it was, it became more genuine, and I started to believe it as something real more so than just something you say about a pretty high-profile recruit. I think he just enjoys playing football. I think he enjoys making friends playing football and I think because of a lot of maybe the lack of attention he got as a prospect which I kind of chronicled in pretty good detail if, if you know anyone listening I guess read that story 
was like the lack of attention he got. I don't think he became like this brand and this high profile recruit with all these different wheels spinning and everything that comes with being a modern day quarterback prospect. He just really didn't have any of that. I mean, look, he was, again, he didn't really get upgraded to a four-star recruit till mid-October of this senior year. He didn't have a power five offer until game three. He didn't really get that normal courtship and not to mention you know, that was all going on during a global pandemic. So you're not going to campuses and things like that. And so uh, in a way, it kind of allowed him to just play a child's game like a kid in some ways, right? And there's not, you know, all the extracurriculars. I, I think I juxtaposed it in the story with Caleb Williams and him having his own website and literally the website calling himself the first high-profile free agent in college football history, NIL deal with a private equity firm in Beverly Hills, that type of stuff. He just didn't have a ton of that. And you know, I think him having fun playing football is kind of what he always went back to, um, maybe when he wasn't getting the attention and then when some of the dysfunction around him was happening that largely wasn't his fault. I think that's kind of what he defaulted on. And I think you probably saw some of that today. I didn't think it was a perfect performance by any means, but I thought he played pretty well. And, you know, between the kind of truck sticky hit there at the end and the celebrating and all that, personality-wise, I think you kind of saw what he is as a uh, – as a person on the football field, if that makes sense. We're doing that thing where I'm, I have to make sure I'm not being lazy, and I don't want to do the Matt Corral comparisons because he's his own guy. But from a standpoint of what he looks like now versus Matt at his age to the way he's running to the way that he just sort of plays the game, there are lots of similarities. And I, I'm going to be really careful because it's it, in a lot of ways it's not fair to Jackson. Um, but – it's a it's similar enough given where they are in their processes as second year players that it's almost bringing like this baseball thing out in me where I had to spend the entire baseball season not comparing Hunter Elliott to Doug Nikhazy because he was left handed wore twenty six and looked like him you know what I mean like there's lots of stuff there where I mean Dart's his own dude but he is leading in a very similar way that Corral did. And I think that this is going to sound stupid. So maybe I'm just, I mean, I'm this, I hadn't workshopped this and we're just doing a post-game show, whatever. So I guess it's a podcast tomorrow. But in some ways, I feel like it's the quarterback game that the returning players are used to for Ole Miss. And in some odd way, I think it actually sort of enhances the ability to have some continuity despite having all these new players. I think that they're seeing the same type of quarterback as Corral from boisterous and and running and and, and just a really aggressive leadership style of football. And then in some ways, there's a familiarity to it, too, that might help Ole Miss as the season plays out. Yeah, I think there's something to that as well. I mean, they're both kind of dudes, dudes on the football field, right? They mm-hmm. enjoy the, the smaller aspects and kind of the dirtier, grittier aspects without going too fully cliche. But, like, I put used a contrasting example – you know, I don't mean to use a bad example here, but like Shea Patterson wouldn't qualify him as a dude's dude on the football field. You know, Jordan Tamu kind of led in a different, quieter way type of thing. And so you're right. They have similar personality traits in how they play football and kind of the boisterous leadership and not scared to lower your shoulder and take a hit probably to a fault sometime. A little bit of that gunslinger mentality. Their personality traits as quarterbacks are the same, I think is what you're getting at. And, you know, it's obviously, as you mentioned, it's kind of important to distinguish that, you know, it's unfair to compare them as, you know, players and careers and all that. But the way they go about their, you know, job on a football field, I think is very similar. And I do think that probably creates some sort of continuity. Um, you know, when you lose a crucial piece of the program that Matt Corral was, I think it makes it probably slightly easier. 
Missouri State now up 17 nothing on the Hogs. That just made its way to the main TV. I moved State LSU to the uh, to the uh, <laughs> to the other one here. What channel are we here. on for this? Uh, Is it just ESPN streaming? I, so I'm all streaming. I don't have any cable anymore. Yeah, as it's gone to commercial, this is ESPN Plus. So this is not mainstream. Okay. Uh, this is not mainstream television. But hey, seventeen nothing's real. I, I, there, there is there is something you know, to Arkansas that. When, when it gets to three scores, that thing's real because Arkansas suddenly is going to go into morgue level freaked out. I was talking to Neil about this. I mean, it's seventeen nothing. They're all looking around, going, "Oh hell, what is what what is happening right now to us?" And they don't move the football like you know. I, I think of twenty ten Cam Newton, where you know I remember them getting down twenty four to seven in the Iron Bowl, and it's like, ah, this is not over by any stretch. Or you know, Mahomes and the Chiefs, to use a different example in the NFL. Arkansas is a good offense, and I really like KJ Jefferson as a quarterback. But they don't move the football like that. They don't really have those as many quick, explosive, you know, forty five, fifty yard chunk plays, particularly through the passing game, and so. I don't know. Maybe Bobby Petrino will get one more win in that stadium. Who knows? I mean, it, it's real at this point. You're halfway through the second quarter, and it's 17-nothing. And you know, they just forced to not just forced to three and out, but before that score, they they look pretty salty on defense. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go find it and move it over on my my main TV. I've got a couple other devices going with games, but I think that's that's probably where that's that, that's headed for a minute. I mean, at the same time, you got Liberty tying Wake Forest with a few minutes to go in the game. Good for you. Uh, yes, Russ. Uh, Tulane did beat Kansas State. I'm, I'm I'm repping my wave tonight. They they pulled it off in Manhattan today. Um, wow, good for them. Kansas State was supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, ha- hammered Missouri last week, but didn't hammer Tulane today. So just just saying. Uh, you know, I, I still contend, and I know Ole Miss has got him on future schedules. You play Tulane every other year, and you play them in New Orleans every time. You don't need them to come to Oxford. You just give your fans a, a, a New Orleans Baton Rouge trip every season. Which, which every year, year you don't go to Baton Rouge, just play Tulane and go down there. This isn't complicated. I like it. Wasn't the last time that happened the week after Jacksonville State? Uh, they went in 12, too. Bo's first year. Okay. Right. I, yeah, they went, God, t- I remember they went in 10 and 12. Okay. You could tell me anything about that game, and I would believe it. I don't remember anything about that game. So I'll take your word for it, but wow. Because Bo, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Bo hurt his shoulder in his first season as quarterback by trying to run over a Tulane linebacker in the game. Now. Okay. That seems on brand. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Because 2010 was the Masoli-Stanley thing, and then – yeah, that was that was that was 2012. Um, guess that's is one way to describe it. Well, that's fair. Zach Evans, uh, 18 carries today, 134 yards. He had two targets, but did not have a catch in the receiving game. Went for a long of 26. I've got the stats up for anybody on the uh, post game show; they can see kind of what I'm reading here. But Evans goes crazy. He was really, really good. I mean, that 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 one cut cut back with his vision with some elite NFL kind of stuff there out of him. He was pissed when they took him out of the game to let Judkins get his second touchdown. He's wanting the ball nonstop. You talked to Zach for uh, his his bio with the NIL stuff. Um, you've probably talked to him more than any media member has at this point, frankly, if we're just being, being real. Um, what do you sort of make of the energy that he has shown through three games? Because he's a dude that you know he's playing for a contract, but that cat, you know, we always heard – Hey, he's worried about his usage. He's worried about his usage. No, that dude wants the damn football. 
Yeah, I think that's a more accurate way to describe it for sure. Um, he's a different cat. He, he's not a dumb kid. He's a smart kid at all. Not that anyone, like, I, don't, I guess I don't mean to insinuate you think he's dumb, but like he's a really bright kid. He's been um, flighty, think, but he's not stupid. No, he's very, very, very bright. Yeah, he's a very bright kid. Um, and, you know, I think it's with some of the stuff in the recruitment, I, I think he's maybe a little more private than than a lot of these kids coming out of high school. And I think that probably led into some of it. Look, a, a lot of that, again, from what I understand, was self-induced to some degree. But I guess my point is, is there's probably some stuff that went into that high school recruitment that maybe not necessarily got overblown, but wasn't fully understood. And he's a different kid, but he's a smart guy. And, yeah, I mean, I, he wants the football. I, I may have used this example on the postgame show before but you know i asked him something at the end it's kind of one of those canned questions that they want for the nil thing and i just like what makes you different from other running backs he said i don't know that many other running backs that make their own holes and that was just the end of his answer and i was like okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean in three three games that's kind of uh it's kind of been true you described it well the the quickness that coupled with the vision makes for a really really dangerous running back and their running back room as a whole is just really really good behind a really good run blocking offensive line and you know not to parlay it into everything else but if you look at this team as a whole that coupled with the way they play defense travels anywhere and I don't know what the ceiling with this team is but you know what they have in the running back room the way they run the football um that 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 carries over well like you can go play pretty much anywhere doing that and have a chance and you know I heard you talking to Neil before saying he wouldn't concede any game if he were Ole Miss I, I tend to agree with that I don't know if they'll win all of them but I would give them a chance in every game they play left on the schedule. Yeah, it's what made today. I mean, A, Georgia Tech sucks, but it's also what made today foolproof for Ole Miss where they weren't going to be one of these teams that struggle with the inferior opponent because when you can run the ball like that and your quarterback just does enough and then you play defense and you, you, you don't let anybody breathe, there was no recipe for that game to be competitive. And you saw it. I tweeted about it early on. Lane and Ole Miss and Weiss or whoever was doing all the play calling, they did not respect Tech at all from a run defense standpoint. I mean, they ran it and got it on third and nine. They ran it on third and 16. They ran it on third and 20. They picked up all these different things. They were just going to run the damn thing every time because they didn't think that they could stop them three times in a row before somebody blew an assignment or they just created some gaping hole. I mean, you know, for for a team that tries to be – you know, I don't know if balance is the right word because I think you can get stupid when you focus on balance in the way that just straight 50-50. But you want to mix it up. You want to be efficient. They ran the ball on 26 of the first 30 plays in a game where they knew they probably needed to see a little bit out of the quarterback to see what it looked like going into the next week. They just knew, by God, they could not be stopped, and that's what they were going to do. I think today was a reflection of the turnaround Lane Kiffin has had through two and a half years and kind of the culture that he's building and built, right? I mean, this team clearly has an identity. They play really good defense, and they run the football well. And, I mean, I get it. Georgia Tech's not good. I, I You know, I had a guy on from SB Nation on the podcast earlier this week, and he's big into some of the advanced analytics. I think he kind of runs some of his own models. And, you know, beyond all the nerd stuff, he was like, look, this team's staring three and nine straight in the face until they prove me wrong. So I get that they're not good, but it's the fact that you go over there, you know, to an ACC school in their building and never really struggle at all, and really the game was never in doubt from the opening snap. And it's it's even the stuff late in the game. I mean, they have third stringers in there making plays. You look at it and you're like, oh, that's clowny. Oh, that's I can't think of another example. But guys like in the Matt Luke era, they're kind of pitched as you know pillars and cornerstones of the program are. 
depth pieces at this point. And that may not be the perfect example to use, but I think that's another part of it. And, you know, if you talk about the culture aspect, Lane was still coaching his ass off through the final whistle. I mean, there was some kind of miscommunication on like a handoff or one of those little forward pitch plays at the end. And he did like the same bend down to his knees thing he did when Corral got hurt at Auburn last year. And it's, it was just funny to watch because right under like where he's like bending down, like it says 42 to nothing with four <laughs> minutes left. And he, he's very much as invested. And then he just casually kind of walks off the field, saunters off and went about his business. But I think him kind of coaching through, you know, the final whistle of the 60th minute, I, I think that's, that's kind of in, an embodiment of what he's built. And I thought today was more of that than anything, right? They should have won the game, but the fact that they just went in and completely dominated is is a sign of what he's building and what he's built. And it's it's pretty impressive. It's a pretty quick turnaround. People forget that. 2020 seems like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. Yeah, I mean, Maureen Rebel, thanks for Super Chat. He says, is Ole Miss that good or is Georgia Tech that bad? Look, Tech sucks, but Ole Miss made them look as – absolutely as bad as they are or worse. I mean, Tech gave Clemson a game for two and a half quarters and frustrated them and really frustrated DJ whatever his name is and, and moved the ball a little bit. And I mean, did some things. And, you know, I don't know how good Ole Miss is on their front four. I think that's still a question a little bit defensively or front three, I know, you know, depending on what kind of front they're in. But they got after Jeff Sims today. He started seeing ghosts. I mean, that cat was moving his feet and worried about where everybody was, the way he was getting hit and pressured, and the way that he didn't have time to kind of execute that offense. He already didn't have a, a, the ability to throw the ball down the field. The matchups favored Ole Miss in every way. But Sims ends up 18-32 for 161, but it was the most uncompetitive 18-32 for 32 for 161 that I've seen. Tech runs 34 times for 53 yards. That's it. They average 1.6 yards per carry. Uh, Ole Miss flying around the football defensively. I, I I do think Tech is like that, but when you look at Ole Miss, they're just showing up. I mean, they've been a little robotic for three day, th- for three games as far as defense not allowing anything, and I do think they're potentially that good. I mean, I look, it's a huge game in two weeks. They play Kentucky. We're going to say huge game 15 more times for, probably before the show's over and definitely over the course of the next week. But Ole Miss is better in the run game and better on defense than Florida is. And it's in Oxford. I mean, I think Ole Miss is a favorite in that game right now. Kentucky has had some offensive line issues. Now, they're really, really good defensively. Um, Kentucky's really good defensively. But Anthony Richardson made a lot of his own mistakes. There were some just unforced errors there today. And if Jackson Dart is now – Kentucky made him look bad, so I'll, I'll I'll give that to it a little bit. But if Dart looks like what Richardson looked like last week, Lane is going to pull every bit of his hair out and be yelling and throwing clipboards at everybody at the end of that game. I I mean, when I look at it, it's not the worst matchup in the world for the Rebels. They can lose the game for damn sure, but it's not a bad matchup. No, it's not. And I don't think Kentucky's faced defensively some of the you know, a running attack like Ole Miss and kind of that physical front that they can offer. And, you know, it's it's worth mentioning that Ole Miss – I mean, Kentucky has a couple – I don't know if uh, Smith and Jones are starting, but heavy contributors that kind of not completely got processed, but kind of, you know, got squeezed out of playing time at Ole Miss, right? I mean, I I don't think that's completely, you know, irrelevant in this conversation, but you're right when it comes to the quarterback. And kind of to bring it back to that, I think Buchanan has bought into the second part-time career uh, as an MPW podcaster. He called me twice during the game 
after like a dart throw or whatever. And once was as the interception happened, I, I he was I think he was at a bar by himself. I don't really know what Buchanan had going on today, but he was having a good day. But he was, you know, it was interesting listening, like talking to him through like two or three drives while I have him on the phone and some of the stuff he notices. And there was some good stuff Dart did and some bad stuff. I heard you and Neil talking about the throw where it was kind of like the reverse bootleg out of the pistol where he just mm-hmm. kind of slung it and it ended up being grounding or a sack. Like Buchanan pointed out to me is like one of the extra like easiest mistakes he made on that is apparently the way that play set up, if it's the two linebackers or the end or whatever kind of come hard at you, you get rid of it immediately. And beyond trying to throw it away, even trying to extend that play further right is apparently a pretty rookie mistake on that kind of concept. And I think they can live with stuff like that, but that's sort of indicative of the trying to do too much, trying to keep everything alive type thing. And of course the interception was as well. And if they can get that portion of it out of him or reined back to some degree and just let the game come to him more, they can live with the inaccuracies on a couple of the deep balls and the missed throws. You just can't have the back breaking mistakes because of everything we just talked about, right? The defense and the running game will keep you in every game. You just can't have those backbreaking mistakes off of terrible decisions. Just think of the wide receivers today. I, I I know they're not getting crazy separation. I know it's nothing necessarily flashy or anything. By the way, Liberty is down one and is going to go for two, or potentially go for two with a minute left. Um, wow. But Mingo has played incredibly well. I thought Heath was good today. They finally got Watkins involved a little bit. Look, it's not the elite. It's not Dawson and DK and AJ out there. But they're also not dropping the football. Mingo is going up and really playing well from a body control point of contact, you know, point of point point of catch standpoint. They're not bad. They're just not elite. They're they're a completely adequate receiving core. Yeah, and it was a quiet day for Michael Trigg, too. But I think the, what speaks to that is Jalen Robinson. I don't know what his deal was, but I saw Nick Suss report that he wasn't dressed out. So, obviously, he was missing for some sort of injury. And not that the passing game was anything over the top, but they didn't really miss a beat. And he's been a pretty integral part of the offense through two games as far as being out there as a receiver. And you juxtapose that to last year, whereas I know that it hurt already that they lost Mingo early in the year, but you remember they went out. They they lost Drummond in that Auburn game, and like it was like, who are they going to throw to? I remember trying to look at the roster when they were like, Corral would throw to someone down the field in the second half, and I was like, wait, who is that? Which which one of the Jacksons was that? Like it got point being, it got really bare when they lost one or two guys because that's all they really had. And so I think to your point, they're not dynamic there, but I think they have more SEC caliber ish receivers than they did a year ago, and so. You know, if you're not going to be dynamic, at least not be thin at that position. And I think they're they have enough depth to be more than adequate, if that makes sense. Stephen, thanks for super chat as always. Good to see you. Um, I know you'll be shocked by this, but tri- uh, Freeze ran a trick play for the two point conversion and didn't get it. Did oh, I was about to ask if it worked? That's uh, shocking. That will. Uh, well, I don't think he ran that. I think an assistant ran that. So that'll be someone else's fault. <laughs> That was not his play call at this point, was it? Uh, I'm, I'm... Headset miscommunication had to be. Now, if it would have, have, have worked, that's something he had in the bag all week. Yeah, I mean, Malik Heath went four for 78 today. It's fine. He's pretty good. He's a good receiver. I have a hunch when I go back and watch the game again tomorrow that if we can get the camera for this, I mean, we don't have an all-22 
Ole Miss didn't need to throw the ball. And I don't think Ole Miss, you know, they have not gotten a lot of separation down the field as the games have gone on or the weeks have gone on. But I do think that intermediate short to medium passing game probably was there and they just didn't use it because I think they were physical enough off the line of scrimmage and and so much more athletic than Georgia Tech that they probably could have thrown eight to ten yard passes all day long. Do you need a ton more than that with the way they run the ball and the way they play defense? Like, they'll be able to scheme guys open even if they have struggled to create separation. And, again, they don't have to be dynamic. They just have to be kind of good in the passing game and not turn it over. Um, So, yeah, I kind of agree with you there. I think they'll be fine there. And I think the more and more Trigg kind of gets ingratiated in this offense, I think that'll change the calculus a bit if he becomes a consistent threat over the middle of the field. Um, Look, I I think this is a pretty – pretty complete team when you gauge it by Ole Miss's, you know, what they've had for the last seven or eight years. I don't really know what that means, but, you know, everything seems to kind of fall in place. Now all eyes are on whether, you know, number two can handle things at quarterback. And it's it sets up for a fun and entertaining fall. It will certainly be fascinating if nothing else. I don't – I couldn't begin to know how to predict it. But, yeah, I think the receivers are going to be fine. I think they'll be okay in the passing game. And, you know, we'll see how far that takes them, I think. Um. Dart protecting the football is everybody's number one question, I think, moving forward. What's your number two question about this team that we don't know yet? Ooh. Part of me wants to say pass blocking because some of that had been pedestrian. Now, that looked a little bit better today. Um, But I guess I'll go with what happens when a team that's really, really physical runs at them for four quarters. Um, you know, I thought the linebackers played pretty well today for the most part. It's unfortunate for uh, that they had the targeting ejection uh, with Troy Brown, but I think that's it. What happens when a really physical team, you may get that in Kentucky, right, particularly if they have Chris Rodriguez back. Can they hold up with that? I, I think the defensive line will be fine. I think there's enough depth there, but, like, what does that actually look like? I think that's my probably my number two question with this team. Yes, Ole Miss would beat Wake Forest. They would, they would out-athlete Wake Forest. I've seen enough for the, for for that one. And I'll, and I'll seriously, Neil said it though. Credit to Vanderbilt. I mean, they are finding wins everywhere where they have a possibility for a win. They, they, they hit they've their done over a good under job. for win total in week three. Was it two and a half? Their over under was two and a half. Wow. Wow. Which good for them. If he can find a way to get to four and eight or five and seven, that's a. I know it sounds crazy, but that's a, to me that's kind of a remarkable. But nothing's left that. other than Missouri, right? Yes. Because they're not beating Alabama, Ole Miss, or anybody else. Well, they could beat South Carolina. They could. But, like, if they have – well, they have to have one more non-conference game, don't they? They lost a wake. Oh, that's right. You're you're correct. And they had the week zero. That's what threw me off. That screwed me up a couple times. You're correct. So they're three and one. Yeah, I mean, look – I don't know. I mean, look, they get Florida at home. I'm not saying they, they would win that game. But, look, if, if they actually kind of have better players, which it looks like they do, than they've had the last two years, if you catch Missouri or South Carolina on the wrong night, um, I know this sounds insane, but even Tennessee at the end of the year, like if you don't play well, I feel like they could hang around in a game you never know and it gets weird. Now, now that you say that, would I predict them to win any of the remaining games on their schedule? That would be an emphatic no. But if they beat Mizzou and South Carolina, would it stun me and maybe scare the hell out of a Florida or Tennessee? 
that wouldn't shock me. I mean, they're not completely incompetent like they've looked from 2020 on. I, I'm a little starting to get a little scared that Neil is going to get his complete and utter gloat fest on that Monday if they that, that they beat Missouri. They can beat Missouri. I mean, Missouri was that I, the last saw, score I saw of that Abilene Christian game was thirty-four to seventeen. I don't know a thing about Abilene Christian, but ugh. I mean, and them not being competitive at Kansas State, I thought was telling. Who just lost to Tulane? So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you there. I could, I could see Neil getting his gloat fest. Anything else today stick out? You watched more football overall than I have today. Um, no, I mean this this Kentucky game's getting, or excuse me, Kentucky Arkansas game is is. Is getting weird. They're, they're going to be down two scores at halftime, it looks like. Uh, oh, well, uh, Missouri State has the football again. Yeah, that that's getting weird. Uh, this We're set up for a good finish, and then nothing else has really stunned me, um, I don't think. Uh, you know, the Nebraska interim coach thing was a nice storyline to get the Big Noon Saturday ratings up, but, my God, that was that was non-competitive. Um, and then I'm looking forward to Miami A&M tonight. I, you know, I took A&M and Neil's picks, which – probably guarantees a Miami outright victory with the way that's been going. But, you know, you get four suspensions late on top of the, you know, what's been a weird week with kids that have been playing. How does A&M respond tonight? I'm very curious to find that out, as well as watch this LSU-Mississippi uh, State finish. A sneaky good college football Saturday. It's been fine. Yeah, the early games were a snooze fest, but I feel like we've had some good stuff since then, even though I missed, I guess, what was the better part of a lot of that because I was not around for the end of Troy and App State and some of that stuff. So. I think I've missed some of the better, uh, better versions of some of what's going on, going on. But yeah, it's sixteen ten right now. Mississippi State over LSU. Three uh, minutes or so to go in the third quarter. In uh, in that one, it's it's my one issue is you know I don't have cable. I stream off Hulu Live, and it puts me about a play and a half behind a lot of people in the stream. So that's the yeah. That's the, I had the same problem actually talking to Buchanan. He would react, and then I would watch the play about two and a half seconds later. Yeah. So it was like my own real-time instant replay. Um, yes. I, I mean, I can't guarantee he was number two, but I think he was, yes. Elijah Drinkwitz was most likely the Ole Miss head coach had Lane not taken the job. That is true. <laughs> boy, boy, would that turned out different. We were having a different conversation right now, um, especially if Lane had gone to Arkansas. Yeah, that would be a much, much different conversation. I would have looked uh, looked forward to kind of trying to find the deep dive of how many people stuffed drinklets in a locker in junior high and how they feel mm-hmm. about that now. Is Florida struggling with South Florida tonight? I have not seen that score. Okay. Um, that might be, that's telling if that's the case. It is, yeah, 10-7. Uh, now, granted, second quarter but you see usf does have the football 10 7 13 minutes left in the second quarter okay both teams uh going forward on fourth down in the third quarter state and lsu back to back i was wondering every time i look up i feel like mississippi state has the football somehow um state's LSU's called time out here I, I would i would i don't know what i do i hate to punt from the 43 but at the same freaking time, like, I hate to give LSU any kind of short field when they can't move the football. Their offense is horrible. Yeah, I mean, I'm just... Like, absolutely horrid. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. Uh, anything else from today? From the Ole Miss game? Sorry, before I let you go. 
not really, other than Georgia's by far the best team in the country. Look, I don't know what anyone thinks of Oregon or how you should evaluate it, but they did beat the 12th-ranked team in the country by, like, three scores today, and Georgia made that non-competitive. They look like a well-oiled machine. They maybe have taken the place of Alabama in terms that of, like, oh, God, they're going to kill everyone. Yeah, Bowers. Yeah. Which, I mean, how the, the I know they're having problems with Eric Gilbert again, but, yeah, I mean, Bowers and whatever the kid's name behind him, it's it's something else. It's something to behold. Yeah, Lane, Lane having to turn around and be happy about the Woo Pig Suey, I feel like would be quite the the the, the Nita Nita cartoon bubble. Um, I mean, can you imagine if you had to take a picture with that hog they carry around in that cage? He'd <laughs> <laughs> be taking a picture and they'd turn around and be like, "Did it poop again? Is someone going to clean that up?" Like. I mean, I get he has to deal with juice. We would get a lot of like really good cage. like Lane and a wild boar photo, wouldn't we? Oh yeah, that thing with its tusks out, rolling around in some slop, and then Kiffin's mm-hmm. like on the other side of the bars, looking like you know his dog just died or something. That kind of face, that would be good content. Yeah. All right, bud. Appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Absolutely. Have a good one. Yeah. Was Brian Rippey here with you now? I'll uh, open the lines, let you guys call in if you'd like to talk a little bit. Get watching Mississippi State and LSU at the uh, at the moment in this one. Liberty loses to Wake Forest, so uh, Dave Clawson and the Demon Deacons pull that out, pull that out over Hugh. Yeah, I'm sticking with I'm sticking with State and LSU right now just because it's in the third quarter. Um, I will turn on Missouri State and Arkansas later if it's in the second half and still competitive or close or whatever it is. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not not going there yet. Number is up. If anybody wants to call and chat. Six six two two five nine. Seven five five six is the number. You can only use a number through one account, so Neil and I have different numbers for. Uh... Uh, Rippy and Ryan are not doing live stream. I mean, I'm sure we could get that figured out. We could do that if anybody wanted to do it, but we are not currently doing that. I'm sure we could get them fired up, though. We could. That would not be hard. YouTube makes it pretty easy to to work that out. Yeah, I mean, Lane wanted Ole Miss over Arkansas. I, I do think he would have taken either, but that's what he wanted. Who we got on the line? Hey, it's Mark from D.C. Hey, am, Mark, I, am I the first caller? Yeah, you are. What's going on? Sweet. First time ever. Awesome. So, to, I guess two questions. Um, so, if you had to, hand, I guess, pick a line between Ole Miss and Kentucky as of right now, I'm kind of thinking it would be Ole Miss by about three or four Roughly, and I'm watching the LSU Ole Miss, me, LSU Mississippi State game. LSU's quarterback is just hot garbage, missing open receivers, just horrible. I mean, State is really not that good. I think Ole Miss matches up pretty well with State. I mean, theoretically, I mean Ole Miss. If we beat Kentucky, literally, I know you're talking about this too, but I mean, we just start seven, eight, and zero. 
I, yes. Uh, sorry, by the way, Daniel. I don't, I mean, I'm not aware of Dark hurting himself. Rippy pointed that out to me that he did look like the, the, the knee buckled a little bit, but I've seen nothing about there being any injury. I mean, you guys, you, you've heard Lane talk before I have, so if there's something there, great. No, look, I, I would think, uh, I'm going to go Ole Miss minus two, as I think where I would put it right now. Um, again, you know, you think Kentucky would be favored by a point? Um, I, I don't know that I think they necessarily do that completely, the whole three-point thing all the way on both sides. But, yeah, I think it's close to that just because they have that win over Florida. I mean, perception or not, they have the better win right now because when you look at Ole Miss, I mean, so again, I, I get that we're doing a lot of transitive property stuff, but they still have beaten Troy, Central Arkansas, and Georgia Tech. Yeah, I understand that. So who do you think has the better roster? Because I think Ole Miss has the better roster top to bottom. Kentucky may have the better quarterback, which obviously that's, that's kind of a trump card, but I think Ole Miss has the better overall roster. I think both teams' defenses are better than the other teams' offenses, potentially, and that it Agreed. is up to whichever one, the Ole Miss offense with its run game or the Kentucky balance. Oh, wow, State balance just the punt and gave LSU a first and goal. see that. Yeah, it just now popped on my screen. Yeah, um... I, I think the offenses are deciding this football game. I think it's can Ole Miss run and basically can Ole Miss stop the run and force Levis into needing to absolutely win the game without without a run game. Because, you know, look, Levis makes these great plays. He's this great NFL prospect. I get all that. I'm, I'm, I'm not discounting that. He can also kind of throw it and be erratic a little bit. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it's almost going to be a game where Levis and Dart both are trying to not make that one critical error that screws everything up. So if you had to predict it now, and I know we're two weeks away, what, what, what would you? What would you? What, how would you lean? Um, I'll give Ole Miss a slight advantage because it's at home. So basically, um, it's a coin flip. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a coin flip. I mean, I think it's yeah. a really freaking close game. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about that. I think it's. I, I think. I think it is going to be an atmosphere that can is as high is is contested as it can be. Maybe not Alabama fourteen. Like I understand that's a different. Well, that level. was going to be my. That was going to be my next question. How was it going to compare to Alabama fourteen? So would it compare to A and M last year? I think it's very similar to A and M last year. Yes, I think I think you're talking about that. an environment in two weeks that's very similar to A and M last year, which is considering that was in November and this is on October first. This is this has a a higher pound for pound. Yeah, I was at the game in 14 with, with, with my dad back when I had season tickets and I lived in Oxford, but now I live in D.C. And I haven't been to a game in probably two, three years because, it, quite frankly, I can watch every game on TV right in front of – I mean, I've got a 70-inch TV in, in my basement and why spend a couple $2,000 to yeah, get sure. tickets for me and the wife and all that stuff. So I don't watch every game on TV, and there's no point in going to games when you can, like I said, watch it on TV. But, I mean, yeah, Alabama in 14 is probably the, the number one for me as far as actually being at the game, but then A&M last year, I mean, just seeing it on TV, the crowd was electric. So if it's anything like any, – if it's, say, in between there or even A&M last year, I mean, I, I think that gives Ole Miss a pretty – just an, an advantage, like a like a mental advantage. I mean, Kentucky – I mean, granted, they played Florida on the road. I don't think Florida is as good as what Ole Miss is. And, I mean, granted, they've had really good recruiting classes, but it's a first-year coach, and you know how that is. But – yeah, 
being at home, I, I kind of, like you said, favor Ole Miss, but a lot can happen in two weeks. It's becoming a bigger game by the minute because we already yep. knew that if Ole Miss won, they were going to be 6-0 and playing Auburn, and we knew they'd be ranked whatever, and it changed the overall scope of the season going into the second half. But now it's changing what you think moving forward. It's that can you get to that, then you're 6-0, and but then Auburn sucks, so are you 7-0? and and then LSU is this kind of throwing off all of herself, and are you eight and no? You know what I mean? Like you start going down the thing, yeah. and you go, well, hell, I mean, yep. there's look. Do I know, do I think? I mean, look, Ole Miss could lose to Kentucky. Ole Miss could lose in Baton Rouge. I mean, sure, oh, yeah. like stuff happens. Yep. I mean, they could win them, or they yep. could lose them. But you can at least convince yourself without complete mental gymnastics that you've got Ole Miss and Alabama on November the twelfth in just one monster of a damn football game. Yeah, whereas if Ole Miss is undefeated, you're looking at Alabama at two, Ole Miss at probably five, sure. six maybe. But speaking of this this Auburn, Auburn kind of reminds me of 2012 Auburn. Like when they just implode Ooh. and go two and ten. Look, you can – I still think they're okay defensively, but Penn State really wore them out today. You, When your quarterback play is bad, you are susceptible every single week to getting run out like that. Yeah. And that's where they are right now. Yeah. And it's what's keeping LSU from winning this game at the moment because their quarterback play is just atrocious. They're staying yeah. in the game everywhere else. I mean, State's else, not that good. Terrible. I mean, State, State's okay. I mean, they're pretty good defensively. I mean, State's fine. They're good. They're fine. They're good. They're, I think Ole Miss beats State by two touchdowns if they play tomorrow. Ole Miss is a, it, a touchdown favorite at least. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. At a minimum, games in Oxford. Yeah, I mean that. It, it's I don't think it's that close. Because I think at the end of the day, Ole Miss has a better, a lot better roster. I mean, Ole Miss, especially. I mean, granted, there's complete overhaul in defense, but I think Ole Miss's roster is better than what it was last year, especially on the defensive side. We have a lot more depth. That depth, I think, is going to come is really key in the second half of the season. We still don't know where Ole Miss is going to get the superstar plays outside of the running backs that are going to go win football games. But yes, they are. They are. Ole Miss, from a roster standpoint of straight SEC-level depth. Now, does this mean you win every game? No, because you it takes superstars to win football games. But 1-85, yeah. to 85, this is the most SEC players on one roster of any, of, of any Ole Miss team I've covered since 2005. And, I mean, I started in 2005, right, so not that 05 I, had more. I'll, I'll, I'll hang up on this question. Mm-hmm. So, if Matt Corral somehow miraculously could have come back to the team, he's almost won a national title with his roster. I'm not going to go that far, but yeah, I think they would. I think they would be the legitimate even with Alabama in the West. I think that would be a, a valid argument. Now, I want to see a little more offensive line. Ole Miss has got to get better up front. But yeah, yeah, you, always, you, you, yeah, yeah you could at least is, make is, that argument. Pretty. Uh, yeah. All right, cool. Well, y'all have a good night. I, right. I always enjoy the show, and I look forward to hearing y'all the rest of the week. Okay, thanks, Bo. Appreciate him calling from D.C. there. Line back open. If anybody would like to uh, give us a shout. Yeah, I mean, I, there's an argument for Ole Miss having the third best defense in the conference. Sure. Yeah, I, I'll buy that. That's what Killa said. Yeah, sure. And, yes, Ole Miss is, does not have a history of beating Auburn, but they have done it, and this Auburn team is not very good. It, it's just hard to see – this Ole Miss team losing to Auburn with that quarterback situation. Everything that that would mean and what that would take. I mean, Auburn would have to play so good defensively and keep that to some sort of 13-10 game. 
I mean, just just muddy it up like a bunch of hogs. I mean, it, it would have to be an ugly football game. This is where I can't stand you guys ahead of me in the stream. Because I am LSU just finished their second down play. It's coming up for third and goal right now for me, and I, I'm assuming I'm at least a play behind. You're right. State's scrappy. State, State is not a bad football team. That they're they're not an elite football team. They can be beat. There's not a ton about them that's going to scare you at all. But they're not bad. They're 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 very serviceable. And if you play poorly, they will beat you. State is the perfect team from the standpoint of for an Ole Miss or an SEC team that is in that second tier, as Neil and I keep talking about outside of Alabama and, and Georgia. That it's up to you. If you play well, you win. If you play poorly, you lose. That's it. It, it is completely up to you when you play Mississippi State. You, you dictate that. Their their ceiling is set where it is, but their floor is also sort of set where it is, where there's only so much that that happens at that point. More than maybe any other, I think State is like that. I don't know if there's another team in the league that is that. Even from they do what they do, and you know exactly what to expect when that is the case. The SEC slate, somebody asking the week of Ole Miss and Kentucky. Pulling that up right now. Give me one second. Again, you can call if you have questions. We've got that number up on the screen here now. The schedule... The week of Ole Miss and Kentucky is Georgia at Missouri, Alabama at Arkansas, which is what we mentioned. That's that's definitely a game day possibility if Arkansas wins today, pulls it out against Missouri State, and beats A&M next week. Ole Miss at Kentucky, Alabama currently second, Arkansas currently 10th, Ole Miss currently not, uh, 20th, against 17 in the coaches' poll, 20 in the AP poll. Uh, Kentucky at 9, A&M at Mississippi State is that day. It's an interesting game. LSU at Auburn, I mean, somebody gets a win. South Carolina State, South Carolina, and then Eastern Washington and Florida. Those are your games for October 1st inside the the SEC. Yeah, Florida struggling with South Florida after playing really poorly against Kentucky. It's, I know they scored, but still. It, it is showing us in so many ways that we can do these week one overreactions. I mean, I think Florida is better. I mean, don't get me wrong, but we we, we, we can really, really overreact to, to week one stuff. I mean, frankly, any week right now, because A, college football is a, I mean, it's a dumb sport. I mean, it's crazy and different stuff every single week. But then also it's, we don't have enough sample sizes. You're seeing young players make a lot of mistakes, and that's changing, changing games, emotion, getting your, getting your kids up week in and week out is such a chore. It's why I think coaching is underrated when we look at all the different aspects of the teams that are consistent and winning at the levels that they, that they potentially are. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Ooh, Memphis Rebel, at this point, how many games is Ole Miss the underdog in? That's a good question. Uh, Alabama. 
and we're assuming that they played tomorrow. Let's just do it that way. Not even when they played the game. Potentially in College Station. That's it, right? They, they would be favorites against Auburn. I think they would be a favorite today against Kentucky. Um, they would be a favorite in Baton Rouge, even though it wouldn't be as big as you guys would probably think it, it should be at that point. I think it's two. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, no, no, no. In Fayetteville. No, they, they would be. They would be an underdog. Assuming Arkansas wins this game today, I think Ole Miss will be a, a minuscule, small underdog in um, in Fayetteville. Uh, no, I'm. I am. I am drinking water. I am not. Uh, I'm not having alcohol. I know it's boring. I mean, I know we had this conversation last week, but I have not slept well this week. Um, especially since I'm still getting back on a normal schedule after finishing writing for the book because I was getting up stupid early to write the book and I have not completely recovered and I feel like alcohol is going to mess up my sleep and I didn't, I haven't slept well the last couple of days. I'm, it, it, it's the sheer sign that I'm getting a little older and that I'm becoming old is that I am obsessed with doing three or four things to make sure I try to get adequate rest right now, especially when we trying to get back into my normal routine. Again, boring as hell, nobody cares, but that's the that's the answer. Is that even now at seven forty seven, that's late enough that that one or two drinks would absolutely affect my sleep tonight. I'm old, I'm boring. It's okay. Yeah, Killis says Ole Miss forty two, Kentucky fourteen. I, I I don't buy that. I think that's that that that's too much, but I mean I I think I would pick Ole Miss to win today. I would. I mean I'll I watched Kentucky beat Florida, and Kentucky's good. They're, they're defensively, they can really frustrate you, and th- I think they could win the kind of game where when we get on here for the show after Kentucky, I think that I think you guys would be losing your mind on what a loss like that would look like because it would look like this bogged down mess of a game for Kentucky to win because of what I think they would do defensively, and they're they're very very balanced. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think that's a that that would be a weird game in a lot of ways. But I look at that game in Kentucky. Kentucky caused some of the problems, but Richardson was awful. I mean, he just made a lot of unforced errors that were that were all over the place. There, I mean, it, there, there's no other way to put it. Uh, I, I know Avery Yoga would absolutely help with the sleep and just my flexibility in general. Um, I've got a friend that tells me that all the time. I am very, very, very inflexible. I think Ole Miss has a higher ceiling than Arkansas. Tony says it's Ole Miss better than Arkansas. Look, I think either one of those can win games against the other. But I think Ole Miss has a higher ceiling than Arkansas. No, Ole Miss has done very well against Stoops lately. Lane got the win in the crazy game in 20. DK and Matt won in, in 17. Yeah, Florida up 17-10 on South Florida. Mississippi State currently down one to LSU. LSU 17-16, 13-49 to go in Baton Rouge. At least on my TV, a, a, a state player currently down. I'm definitely not ready for yoga in a studio. I mean, you could convince me to try some YouTube videos and just give it a shot, embarrass myself in the privacy of my own office. 
I don't think we're willing to put that on display. Uh, Colonel, no, we have not heard from. I have not heard from Bubba this year. Kind of hate that. Hope he calls in. Hope 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 we get him back. But I have not. I have not heard from him. Uh, Daniel asked, "Why are they playing Ole Miss? I mean, playing Kentucky this frequently? It's because that twenty schedule was just manipulated. They didn't. They didn't do the COVID twenty twenty schedule in any way that was in a rotation. It was completely separate of that. So, with that thrown out, the way they that they they have done it, it's just kind of back in the way it works. Although." It does still feel like it's one year too soon, does it? I, I, I don't does doesn't it? I, I don't have a great answer for that, but I know that the reason why it feels as frequent as it is is because Florida and Kentucky were just added to the twenty schedule. No, Florida was already on it. It was Kentucky. It was just that completely added to the schedule in twenty. The post game is not the same without Neil, and it's also I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tweak it probably as soon as next week. I think I'm gonna have Brian come in with me because it's also different just one person. It, it takes out the ability to watch games as easily when you're just kind of hanging out and talking. There's a there's a collegial feel that is so much that's so different when there are two people in studio. Um, I, I completely. I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it is a it's a different show right now the way it's set up. It's not necessarily bad or good, but the the negative does point out to me that I I feel myself that it changes the the aspects of interacting with callers, interacting with you guys, not having somebody who's kind of initiating conversation while somebody's working the production because we have to do it all at the same time. It's it can get a little bogged down just on the things that I need to do to run the show while also trying to make sure I'm talking and looking and everything else. Um. Uh, yes, I'm writing a book uh, on Ole Miss's baseball season, on them winning the national championship. Getting really, really close, I think. Um, soft, A soft release will be in the next couple weeks, and then a full release by the middle of October. We're getting getting really close. I had to be done writing at the 1st of September, and it's all in the, the layout, the edit, the design phase right now. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I think a lot of you guys who, who want to read it will, will enjoy it. Um, it's got a ton of anecdotes that you've never heard, you've never seen stuff that maybe the media did a poor job with during the season. Um, people were really, really good as far as sitting down and recapping memories and different things. It's a, it, it's been a neat process. I've enjoyed doing it. It was, it was fast. It's one of those deals where you wish you had another month. You wish you had six more months. You wish you had time because you know you could have, you know, fleshed out some other stories and subjects and all these different things, all these things you wish you would have done. Um, and I, I feel like I'm going to get there and I'm going to start reading them and go, Hey, I wish I'd have talked to this person or done that. But overall, I think it does a really, really, really good job of, um, telling the impact of the season, not just what all happened and what they did to fall to seven and 14 to the win, but the psychology of the change that was going to come with Mike Bianco and the coaching staff, should they not make Omaha or super regional, we delve into all that. And then what it's meant for, for you guys, what it's meant for the program, for the fan base, for supporters in general, for Ole Miss to, to win the national title and get over the hump. I, I examine all those different things in the book. I, I think that 
I think there's a lot there if you're if you're an Ole Miss baseball fan or just an Ole Miss fan that wants a little different appreciation for the national championship was just one. I really tried to not just focus on what happened, but a lot of kind of the psychology of what people were thinking and doing and how Mike handled the the down times when it looked like his job was over and um then ultimately their 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 rise and their 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 postseason journey through getting so hot over the course of the, the postseason. Um, pre-order is not an option, um, but we will have an online option immediately as soon as it is, uh, it's live where we could do a pre-order, but frankly, I just am going to go ahead and get it out. As soon as it's ready, we're going to go ahead and get it, get it ready to be sold and, and, and not do a couple weeks of pre-order. We're going to let you, um, have it ready to go. Um, doors, no word yet on injuries. I, again, though, I started this show, as you know, 10 minutes after the game ended, so I haven't even heard Lane speak. Anything that Lane said in the postgame, you guys would have to tell me because this, the, way, the, way, the way this happens, I don't even have an answer to that. So it's one of those deals where you'll have to, you'll have to tell me if Lane said anything that was interesting in any way. I have not seen or heard anything on Corey Coleman, no. And I mean that, and that, and that's the one. I mean, again, I didn't see anybody else get hurt to the standpoint of being a problem moving forward, except for potentially Coleman. And I'm not saying he is there, but that was that was it. I think everybody came out pretty healthy, considering considering the game. I thought that I thought Ole Miss, as long as that is not some major injury, got out got out pretty good from a health standpoint. Uh, it's going to open around twenty bucks, William. LSU got it back first and ten, at least on my screen again. No, look, Lane Lane stayed good and pissed there in the second half. I mean, he did a great job of coaching to the whistle and finding and nitpicking issues with everything. I mean, I was that was some impressive stuff from Lane. I mean, it really was. I was I, I was thoroughly impressed with it, with what he did right there. And I I think Neil's right. I, I do. I, I think it's a culture. I think it's. We're not going to lay off. We're going to kind of keep going, and you've got 60 minutes. And, you know, you're, you're drilling in that no matter which 11 are in the game, they're getting an opportunity to not just be on the field and play, but to move up in the pecking order to show something. I mean, there is value in every snap for somebody. I, I think that's I, I think that's something that's very relevant in this. I think that's what Lane is trying. Because that's, that's a place that Ole Miss hasn't necessarily been in as a program. I mean, it's just we're being honest. I mean, I think he is 100% trying to get not even a robotic mindset because he knows he's not saving. It's not doing what Alabama does from that standpoint. But it's making sure every player knows that there's no there's no loaf loaf time. There's it's it's when things need to be need to be going. Yeah, you're right, Colonel. I mean, yeah, as of game three, the identity of this team absolutely is defense. Yeah, and run game. It's a physical, downhill run game team that plays really good defense, that can ball control you. And it's what makes them very dangerous should Dart mature and get better as the year goes on. And I mean mature physically. He seems to be mature mentally. Matures physically because if you can add a dynamic quarterback that can make throws to that, well, now suddenly you're really, really cooking. I mean, it's what gives Ole Miss that higher ceiling. I mean, that's what I said. It's one of those deals where Ole Miss, I think, has a higher ceiling than Arkansas, but it's because I believe in 
the potential of the Ole Miss offense more than I do the Arkansas upside. I think KJ's a good quarterback. I think they can win a lot of games. I mean, it's very possible they win. You know, look, they can turn it around tonight. They could go win 10 games, sure. But at the same time, he's probably not fixing all of his footwork issues. He's probably not going to just suddenly become a dynamic passer. In a couple years, we're going to look up. I mean, I told Neil, I think Dart's an NFL quarterback. If you're Auburn, you make Mel Tucker say no 47 times. I think that's probably what I would do. I don't. I just don't know at Georgia Tech. I mean, that is one hard job. I went to their message board a little bit, and they don't have any NIL money. They've got some academic restrictions. Everybody comes into Atlanta and recruits. I mean, there's no exclusivity whatsoever. You've got Georgia an hour down the road. I mean, that is that is a freaking haul for Georgia Tech to get competitive. I mean, it is a long way from that right now. I just don't know. I mean, you've got to try to build something Pat Fitzgerald-ish. You've got to find one of those kind of guys. But, dude, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Well, look, Auburn's got to not hire an Auburn man. I mean, it's at some point that they've got to figure out with their two biggest rivals being the number two, the, the top two programs in the country right now, it, it, it's it's about finding a fit and getting out of the way. And I mean, Harson's been a disaster so far for things that are his fault and things that aren't his fault, in my opinion. I mean, maybe Grind has a better opinion, but that's kind of where I'm sitting on that. Yeah, I couldn't decide what all I thought about what Collins had on today. I, I don't mind Tech's little block letter logo thing. I'm not used to it. But I don't necessarily mind it either. And you're probably right. Maybe they do go completely back into family this time. I could see that. And they absolutely, yes, they absolutely have too many Chiefs and not enough Indians. Everybody's got an opinion. That's the problem. They have not evolved to the point of hire somebody and then get out of the way and let them run it. What Alabama did with Saban, what Texas to some extent is trying to do, but it still had a really hard time. I mean, it's hard to break away and just be that be that group. And yeah, when you've got Georgia sitting there as your your permanent opponent and your expectations are ten wins, well, hell, there's there's a lot to be going right there. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, we, we laugh about Tulane and Sewanee, but Georgia Tech is the one that they just chose to leave the SEC. Some old dudes at a lot of schools made a lot of really correct decisions that brought a lot of money to their universities. And then you got what happened with Georgia Tech. There's no doubt about that. Who are we talking to? Hey, it's Mark again. I, I figured nobody was calling, so I figured I'd call back and ask one more question. Sure. All right, so it's a golf question. Is that okay? I mean, I'm I'm good. Y'all t- take the show. All right, cool. So, h- how long do you think this live golf thing actually lasts? And because 
I mean, they've already got Cam Smith, which I remember Neil saying and you saying a couple a uh, couple weeks ago that they got Cam Smith and okay, well, I mean, this thing kind of gets real and they might be a, a real competitor to, to the to the PGA. I mean, do you think like the Masters and like the U.S. Open, the the Open, the PGA Championship are really not going to let these guys play? Well, I mean, some of the problem is it's more based off world golf ranking points. Uh, by the way, somebody asked when Tech left the SEC. It was in 1964. That's when Georgia Tech left the SEC. So, yes, they absolutely left. At least, I mean, maybe not modern era, but it was not like it was in the 1930s and they made that decision. I mean, it was in the 60s. Um, okay, two things. One, it's World Golf Ranking Points because unless the majors change the ways you can get in, if you can't play PGA Tour events and you're losing World Golf Ranking Points, well, then unless you're qualified through the majors, how, how are you getting in anyway? How are you playing the majors? Because you don't qualify. You're not in the top But doesn't it water world. down the majors, though? Well, I, but when again, have, uh, I, I, again maybe, then, uh, I guess that's my point. Is maybe they completely restructure their they they restructure everything, but that would require a restructure, and it would require the majors to go. Okay, we're going to take the top thirty in the lift, and maybe that's what happens. But I mean, it would take that level of change. It, it's a it's a big game of chicken right now between everybody. Yeah. And look, I think that the live golf can make money. I think that there are ways for them to to make money and to be a viable golf league in that standpoint. I also don't think the Saudis are just obsessed with golf. So I think no, in I mean, some ways all, your it's answer all, it's, it's is... All, it's all about... Yeah. It, 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 it's sports washing. So the answer is as long as they believe that a golf tour benefits them in the areas they want to be benefited. And when they decide I mean, it's that it's no longer benefiting, that's the answer. For them. Oh, it's 100% public perception. Yes, it is about showcasing what they want to showcase in a positive way that helps with other things. It's it's not about the golf. They just have unlimited yeah, money I mean, and they're, shows they're golf throwing... as a thing that they can do it. Yeah. I mean, So do you think this is a thing in 2025? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Right. I didn't, but I do now. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, if, if you say 2030, 2040, I mean, hell, I don't know. But no, I mean, I don't see any... I don't see any reasons why, whatever. I mean, yeah, Brandon says, I see that more live golfers signed up for more DP Tour events. Yeah, sure. You're going to see more in some other events, other places. I mean, and some and some of these international players are saying, look, our families and where we live, they can see us more on these things than maybe they could all the time on the PGA Tour because of limited cameras. I mean, th- there are several I mean- aspects of this that are fascinating from that standpoint. I mean, I get it. I mean, if you offered me, I mean, say I'm, I'm kind of surprised that um, almost the name. What's the guy from Japan that won the Masters last Hideki year? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that he didn't take the. I guess what was offered was four hundred million or something. I mean, I know he probably has his net worth probably fifty, sixty million, probably more than he'll ever need. But still, I mean, if you offered me four hundred million, I mean, <laughs> I'd be an idiot not to take that. No, I mean, I, I mean, get especially it. some He's of these just... cats in college. But he's got enough that he's in that realm like Spieth and Rory and those guys where legacy at this point matters more. But didn't they, didn't they just get like like some cat that feels like at Arizona State or something? Yeah, they that just was, signed like the number two amateur in the world or something. Yeah, I mean they're probably paying him two or three million at a minimum. I mean you'd be an idiot not to take that. I mean you're uh, you're not making crap as a college golfer. 
there are things that are going to, there, if nothing else, they're a viable option that is going to make the PGA Tour have to rethink everything they're doing. I mean, I'm still going to bet on the PGA Tour long term. But yes, no, I think Liv can absolutely hang around and be a pain in the tail and cause everybody else to at least figure out what you're going to do with ranking points, what you're going to do with some of these international competitions. As Brandon said, where you don't water down the majors and where you let people actually play or otherwise. I mean, cause yeah, if the U.S. Open is nothing but a PGA Tour event, well, hell, who cares as much about the U.S. Open? I mean, yeah. there's, there's, I mean, Cam Smith is somebody we do want to watch in, in majors. So, yeah, yeah, 100%. I get it. So. All right, cool. Well, yeah. I'll hang up and listen to the rest of the show. You'll have All a good right. night. Appreciate it. Again, if anybody wants to call, it is 662-259-7556 is the, uh, is the number. LSU-Mississippi State here in the fourth quarter. Wake Forest held on against Liberty. What is our Arkansas-Missouri State score right now? Where's that at? Yeah, if Quantum Leap doesn't have Scott Bakula, then there is no show. Quantum Leap absolutely has to have Scott Bagula. That's the only way that thing works. I'm watching State in the main LSU's play here. Seventeen fourteen, Missouri State now over Arkansas. Yeah, look, Arkansas is going to win the game. I mean, they survived the early sleepiness. says Missouri State's driving, but I, I still have a hard time believing they win that game. I mean, if so, it'll make for a good show on Monday. But, you know, that doesn't change almost the season. I mean, frankly, in some ways, other than the schadenfreude and the laughing at fan bases, we can all laugh at A&M when they lose these bad teams. But in a lot of ways, you don't need the SEC to lose those kind of games. I mean, you want to make it where if you do lose to a team, you don't have to get hit with a public perception of you shouldn't have. And if you beat a team, you want that to have maximum exposure for getting the win. And that's not me saying, oh, go root for the SEC against all the non-conferences. Because, look, trust me, there's plenty of times when I want to laugh at the SEC when they lose games, or at least teams in the SEC when they lose games. But if you're just looking for straight PR standpoint, that doesn't, that doesn't help you. You want to maximize outside of them losing conference games to help you or if it gets you into a sugar bowl if somebody loses or something like that, you're better off with them winning. If you beat an Arkansas team, you don't want to beat the Arkansas team that just lost to Missouri State. Yeah, Michigan may be great, but I don't know what in the world to make of them. UConn, Hawaii, and somebody else. Yeah, LSU scores, attempting the PAT now. They have really found their footing here in the second half, and with 6.53 to go, LSU up 24-16 on Mississippi State. So still one possession. So this is a question. So this is exactly how much momentum can Brian Kelly gain from beating Mississippi State. 
that's a good question. I, some, because it's it's an SEC win, it's a good win, but it's not one of those where you go, oh, wow, they are really on this thing. It's blah, 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 blah. No, it, it's not that. But, no, it, it's important because a loss would have been another chaotic event down in Baton Rouge. It was a, It's a stabilizing win is what it is for me. It's not, it's not necessarily elevating much, but it's absolutely a stabilizing deal. LSU now to 66 plays. State only 251 total yards and 176 through the air. I mean, LSU's done a pretty good job of kind of tackling them in place. State at 13 first downs. Both teams gotten after the quarterback. Yeah, I knew there was some empty seats in Baton Rouge. We're just getting a kickoff for Texas A&M and Miami, so that one's getting underway. We'll obviously talk about that on Monday. It's a stabilizing win. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, maybe he's lost a little locker room, but you can get it back. It's early. September 17th. Got a long season to go in a good and bad way. There's, there's plenty of time to kind of get some stuff back, and there's plenty of time for that thing to go all sorts of sideways. Going a little over two hours, uh, two eleven now. Again, if anybody wants to call, because I'm probably going to watch a good bit of this A&M Miami game off air. Uh, anybody wants to give a shout? Six six two two five nine seven five five six. If you've uh, got something you want to talk about, it's right there. Maybe it's her my dog was trying to eat someone. I'm not really sure what's going on there. No, State plays horrible in Baton Rouge. I mean, it is, you know, Ole Miss had all that lack of success in Tuscaloosa over the years. State is every bit of that here for, for LSU in Baton Rouge. I mean, it, it has been a collection of chaos. Who are we talking to? Stephen Amandaville. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Good evening, doing well, thank you. Caden Costa, uh-huh. any chance of him coming back by the end of the season, maybe by the Egg Bowl? Uh, that is when he is officially off suspension, so he would be eligible for that. I kind of have a hard time believing, though, that they would drop Cruz, barring him being bad between now and then. I mean, I guess if Cruz really had a, had struggles, but I would assume that it's, it's, a, it's a season at this point. It's just my guess. I mean, I, I don't know that. That is not sourced, but... Yeah, he's definitely out until the Egg Bowl, just from an NCAA suspension link standpoint. And I'm not going to play this role as if I know a lot of the background, but it seemed just kind of black and white with his testing positive for this banned substance. And everybody here in Mandeville that knows he and his family, they just rave about his character and are all of the opinion that this was not anything done intentional, but I guess the NCAA's flexing their muscles and they're gonna—they're not gonna budge on something along these lines. That, that is my interpretation. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't—I don't think it's any like character flaw or anything along those lines. I think it was something there, but yeah, it does feel like—it feels like by the letter, as you said, the NCAA choosing to go letter of law. It does feel like he was—he had tested positive with a—I guess banned substance would be the would be the appropriate way to put it. And then once that was done, I think 
I think the frustrating thing, and I, again, I'm, I'm a little skeptical. Let me just say allegedly, because I'm a little, I don't want to get down a thing where I say something incorrectly here, so I want to be kind of careful. I had heard that he had had multiple failures on a test, and I think if you're Ole Miss or Caden Costa personally, or family, that would be the frustrating thing, because if you'd had multiple, it shows that maybe you know it was not just some sort of one-time event. Again, not saying it was something that he knew about. I'm not going down that road. But just whatever it was, sure, it sure. was like something that was that was in his system for a for, for a length of time, at least enough for multiple tests, whatever whatever that means or doesn't mean. But yes, I think I think that's what probably caused some of what what happened to the extent it did of the NCAA going nope. That's that's 365 days. Because look, I mean, you know, it was it's a kicker. I mean, it's not you know it's not a professional wrestler. It's not a linebacker who's trying to juice up for for football. Um, he does not need tighter muscles. He needs more flexibility as a kicker. Yeah, I had not heard anything much about him as of late. Admittedly, I haven't had my finger on the pulse. But, uh, you know, when you saw the field goal attempt this, mm-hmm. this afternoon, it might have been partially blocked. And I go back to the Sugar Bowl. You know, a couple missed field goals in the Sugar Bowl, that could have turned the tables as well. I know Corral going down was huge, but I think folks were – have a tendency to forget that we had two missed field goals in the Sugar Bowl that could have potentially turned the tide. I mean, that's neither here nor there at this point in the season. But, uh, you know, I just uh, – I felt he had a huge upside. Oh, no. A true no freshman had a cannon I mean, for a leg. Yeah. Um, and it, as the season – Go ahead. As sorry. the season gets – no, no problem. No, as the season, you know, goes goes on and you get in tougher competition, you know, not to be captain obvious, but <laughs> good kickers are uh, can be the deciding factor in many respects. So, you know, I, I was just – you can play the woe is me, it's not fair type thing, but you look at the landscape of not just college athletics, but athletics in general. And, you know, I, I know you said you're not going down that road relative to, you know, potentially multiple, you know, and, and, and I respect that. And I'm not interpreting that you're saying that. But the reality is that you, you said, like you said, he's a kicker. And, you know, for them to throw the book at him like this, it, all, it all, almost reminds me of um, who was the running back, uh, Jordan Wilkins, a few years back when he changed majors and uh, his advisor, whomever, didn't inform the NCAA, if I'm not mistaken. And just to, to come out, I mean, He's changing an academic major for the love of Pete. It's not as if he's you know, raping people or co- committing grand larceny in any way, shape, or form, and you're going to suspend him for the season. I know that was, you know, Freeze was hot and heavy at the time, and I think the NCAA, you know, had it out for. Well, frankly, Ole Miss I mean, that, that, that was a whole miss. I mean, with the Wilkins thing, it was that he changed his major to something that did not make him academically eligible because of degree progression. Because to what he had changed to, you had to be you have to be a certain level toward graduation to remain eligible, and he chose a degree that he was not at that standard to. So it was, it was almost as if was he was it in theory he was regressing his yeah he had, the right I mean, term, yeah, in but. theory he had not made the academic progress to be eligible. I guess would be the the by the book definition of it. Correct. Okay. Well, I stand. Cor- I stand. I yeah. stand. I stand corrected on that. Yeah, that but, was a complete uh, so not, failure. But no, look, here, here's your point. Yeah, so look, I don't – steroids are not going to make Caden Costa suddenly kick 75-yard field goals. I mean, I don't think it did anything for his his play or execution on the field. And 
there's no way in the world that Caden Costa is the only player in college football taking steroids and, and, and getting away with it. Banned substances, however you want to put it. Sure. I mean, I, sure, I sure, completely sure. agree with what you're saying. I mean, it, it's nonsensical to believe that he was under some sort of HGH manipulation to make him a college kicker. No, I completely, uh, no, I completely agree. It's just, you know, you know, I'm from Bay St. Louis originally, but I've been in Mandeville about 12 years now and you get to know people and everyone that I've spoke to that has some sort of affiliation with him, maybe their kids or friends with him or that type of thing. Uh, And I brought my daughter to Mandeville high school when they had the signing day ceremony and we talked briefly to him and his parents and, you know, just a snapshot in time, obviously, but you hear from more than one person, you tend to believe it. And it's just really kind of a bummer because of the talent that he has and for him to be suspended for an entire season. It just seems extremely mm-hmm. grotesque in its discipline. It's, you know, it is what it is. I know that's a used expression, but that is the situation. But, uh, Anyway, has have I missed the College World Series season episode? Have they produced one? And if they haven't, are they going to? They are. I think it's going to be very long, and they are taking their time to make it as good as possible. Um, they, I, I'm, they 100 percent are doing it. I, I don't know if what I what I know is okay to say, but yes, they are. They are absolutely doing one. It is still to come out. And I don't know whether it's Thanksgiving or December or during football season. I do not know a date, but I know we're fairly closing in on it, but that it will be, in my, what I'm aware of, to be almost like a movie-length season that, that covers everything and as good of a, a job as they can do. Yeah. That's well, cool. they do a stand-up job in every production. And, uh, you know, the longer they take... I think that just bodes well for the the quality. So I was just curious. I I, I figured that maybe it would come out right before football. Um, But uh, as long as they're going to be having one, I think that's uh, what's important. But, um, you know, watching LSU just scored again, um, LSU's defense has played well tonight. State has a funky offense that can throw some curveballs at people. And, uh you know, Will Rogers in his third season. He knows the offense like the back of his hand. And, and to me, LSU's credit, they've held them in check. And, uh, you know, turned it on here in the fourth quarter and looks like they're going to walk away with the victory. But, uh, no, I mean, for those who were, you know, poor mouthing LSU, I mean, offensively, yeah, their quarterback, <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, he, he, he's, he's realizing he's positive plays because they're like, yeah. He, he is, he is, but he's realized positive plays because he's just made plays up on his own with his legs. Mm-hmm. Um, pockets collapsing around him, and I'm sure State's trying to spy him. They may not be doing a good job of it, but anyway, they just he just threw a 47 yard touchdown, so they're up 15, 450 left. So I think uh, this game's pretty much I done. Think that was done. But, no, um, they that they've given a a a blueprint for Ole Miss to to beat Mississippi State, which I mean State was I mean Ole Miss was obviously aware of, but. You just tackle. You you keep them in front of you, and you tackle, and you make them convert third downs, and they're gonna they're gonna throw nothing complete passes to to give you the ball back. And they've done a great job. I mean, state again. They've got and they've like, done a they've very got like good job of that tonight. Throwing tonight. No, they've done a very, very good job of that. No question about that. Um, but 
I'm interested in this uh, A&M Miami game yeah. as well. Um, that's the one I've really been looking forward to because I think things could get really, really squirrely in A&M if they somehow if – if they can't pick this one up and then they go to Arlington next week and lose that game, um, I think uh, – yeah, I'm not predicting anything, but it'll just be interesting just to say the least. And one more thing before I get off. I know there's been some potential chatter about game day giving Ole Miss Kentucky a look. Alabama is at Arkansas that sure. same weekend. So if yeah, if if you know Arkansas pulls out tonight, which I think they will, and then if they can take care of business in Arlington next week, I would. I don't know what's on the landscape outside of the SEC that week weekend rather, but I could see um, I could see game day being in Fayetteville for that. I think definitely that be is the I think top that's ten matchup, possibly even top five. Yeah. That's a, that's the front runner right now. I mean, if you want to kind of get into where you're really expecting Ole Miss, Kentucky, you need Arkansas to lose a football game. Absolutely, no, no there's no question. Yeah, whether it's this week and this weekend or next weekend, no, they have to lose one of the next two weekends um, if that's the case. But I'll tell you what, that Troy game for Ole Miss, and I say this kind of tongue in cheek, you know, looks halfway like a halfway decent win. You know, with the, you know, with the Sun Belt the way they've been playing as of late, and you know with App State beating Troy the way they did today. I mean, Troy gave them everything and then some. They should have won the dang game, but, you know, flukes happen and they end up losing. But uh, obviously, I don't mean that in a you know, legitimate sense, but, oh, sure. you know, I, I knew they were I, I knew they were better than uh, people were giving them credit for. I mean, it's a game that Ole Miss should have won. We were three-touchdown favorite for obvious reasons, but uh, uh, I think they're going to make some noise in the Sun Belt. Yeah, John's a good guy. He's a good coach. I mean, they defensively, I think they're a good football team, and I think they'll find a little more continuity in offense. It was just Ole Miss was able to completely uh, kind of snuff them out there, and you know, they the, the matchup was poor. But no, it's it's good no, for was, Ole Miss. They've done everything they can do at this point. No, they have, and I was a little disappointed. I um, my kids served vigil mass today at four o'clock, so went to that, and when I'd left, I mean, Ole Miss was up like 21 nothing at that point, and I felt good about that. But um, I was a little bummed out that South Alabama couldn't hold on in UCLA. I, I wanted to see the they Sun Belt get another one and then also Kane to win one just because I like Kane. Yeah, you know, he seems like a, a stand-up fellow as well. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, UCLA, they're a, a brand. I get it. But the, uh, the attendance – at the Rose Bowl was atrocious. And it's been this way for quite some time. Um, I have an uncle who's a native of Mississippi Gulf Coast, Bay St. Louis, but professionally he's been in Orange County, California, since the 70s. And I happened to be visiting some years ago, and um, it was in the summer, and UCLA was hosting LSU in the first round of the um, – it was a super regional, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a super regional. I just happened to be there. Hey, let's go to UCLA and watch the game. Um, I mean, LSU easily had half the crowd. And this is in Los Angeles. And I know they have a great baseball program and they travel. I get it. But, uh, I, I mean, kudos to them for going to the Big Ten because they'll realize some nice revenue. And there's a lot going on in L.A. to buy people's time. But my goodness, their attendance is really, really pathetic. Yeah, they they're not ready in a lot of ways, and I think it's going to show on the school board and just kind of the way they. they I, and I'm not sure they're dedicated enough to make the jump that would be required. If we're just being honest, 
I think from a competitive level standpoint, there are a lot more negatives and positives there for uh, for them. And you're spot on about your analysis of Chip Kelly. Yeah, I, I heard I, you making some with the comparison. He, he, he's he's so no. played out. He is not. He is he's not evolved as a college football coach at this point. Exactly. He's 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 going to do it his way, and he's going to come hell or high water. He's just going to stick to it that way, and he's not going to modify in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But yeah, I was uh, I was a little bummed out because I. Uh, the way things were trending, I mean, South Alabama, heck, from what the, the part the game I saw, they clearly looked like the better team. They, at that particular snapshot, they clearly looked like the better team, better coached, better conditioned. Um, and when I saw the score, I, I believe UCLA kicked somewhat of a chip shot field goal, but it was the last play of the game. It was, yes. So, uh, yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. That's a bummer for them. Well, what do you think about the uh, the Saints and Bucks? I'm a little nervous about tomorrow, which is weird for a week two game, but I kind of am. Because uh, I think that they win if they can find a way to pull it off. I think I think they're good. I'm I'm not putting too much stock into being close last week against Atlanta. I, I think they've got a chance to legitimately kind of go on a little bit of a run here if they can pull this out tomorrow. But who knows? We'll see. I'm in at least. Yeah. Noon noon, noon start for that one. Oh so. yeah, no, no, absolutely. Uh, and it's much better going to that game one and zero. So uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be exciting. Well, listen, uh, thanks for the show. We appreciate sure. it. Have a good evening, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, thank you. Yeah, I've got a little pregame jitters for Bucks and Saints, of all things. I, I did not expect that. I mean, I, I know I'm always pissed off after losses more than I expect, and wins feel like relief more than exuberance. I'm trying to get better about that and actually enjoy the good things, not just be frustrated with the bad things. But uh, I am. I'm, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I think it's going to be fun. Staying a little bit of the last gasp here. Down eight, three, three minutes or so to go. Trying to drive on LSU. So we've got a good finish here and then get Miami and uh, Texas A&M still going. Texas has cut it to 17-14 against UTSA, by the way. He looks down. The pick will make this much more complicated, but that LSU kid being hurt looks like a problem right there. Okay, well, with that getting close to game, state, I don't know how many timeouts they have left. And then we'll all uh, go root for Miami against the Aggies here to uh, to close out the night. So we'll... Uh, We'll stop there. Appreciate everybody for uh, for giving us a shout, for uh, being here with us. Really enjoyed the stream, the conversation with you guys. We'll do it again next week. I think we're going to get Brian in studio with me. We'll hang out uh, at some point kind of moving forward. We'll put a camera on him and just uh, watch some football and discuss the win, or I assume win. If it's not, then y'all could all do the show by yourself because I don't want to know the fallout from that. But the game against uh, Tulsa, 3 o'clock next week, and then tons of stuff on uh, – MPW Digital, our normal week of content starting on Monday morning with myself and Neil. And I think Brian could have a show tomorrow. He does sometimes. So uh, appreciate him as, uh, as always for jumping on. Thanks to Neil as well. Thanks to you guys. And we'll talk to you again very, very, very soon.